0: Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest-growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2. Both films were released back-to-back in 2010 and 2011, Directed by David Yates, written by Steve Kloves, based on the novels by J.K. Rowling. What's up, everyone? How we doing? This is Anthony. This is James. We're doing Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2 in one episode. It all ends here. This is it, man. This is the uh, end of an epic franchise and conclusion of a decade-long journey of, of filmmaking and one of the greatest fantasy novel f- franchises of all time. I'm going to miss talking about it on the show. I know, right? It's going to be a while. We can't touch on it for a while because we just did seven. Yeah, we'll do uh, <laughs> seven episodes, seven weeks in a row. We'll do like Harry Potter father figures. That's another one we want to do, but we'll wait like a year. Cause, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we've done a lot of Harry Potter this we've year. We've got a couple of our favorite books. James has Half-Blood Prince in front of him, and then I have- the ravenclaw edition of deathly hallows right here. He is so proud of that edition. I'm in the Ravenclaw house. We all know you're Ravenclaw. Congrats. I'm saying happy for you. I got the special edition. He said I couldn't read it because I'm Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I didn't even know you could read. <laughs> oh, so funny. But anyways, so this movie these movies are absolutely incredible and it's hard to imagine how well they pulled off the conclusion to this to this franchise because it's such a daunting task and there's so much that built into this and it's so easy to mess this up Um, although obviously JK laid such intensely detailed groundwork for them to follow it's still easy to mess up a movie but I think they just really knocked both of these out of the park yeah especially when we're talking about the other films and specifically with the screenwriting how do you adapt these books into really good scripts and films especially The last one, you know, this is the epic conclusion. There's a lot in this book that has to get covered. You can't gloss over a lot of things in this novel, which they obviously do. There are things left out that you wish they could have done. Same thing with Half-Blood Prince and Goblet and all the others. But, But like, you have a point. There's more meaningful stuff in that book than, say, um, Half-Blood Prince or Order or Goblet where they were able to make an 800-page book, one movie for that, whereas this had to be two movies. Yeah, because the thing with Deathly Hollow is is it's kind of like from beginning to end, the novel and the movies. Obviously, it's like a, it's like ticking clock, you know. Whereas the other ones, we're at school, we're relaxed. Sometimes we're enjoying classes. We're in the Great Hall. We're watching some Quidditch. We're chilling. We're doing some silly things with our friends. But then it takes over this whole semester. Yeah, the del- school year in Deathly Hallows. We're not even at Hogwarts anymore. So it's basically like this kind of on the run spy movie in a way. Road movie. And then, um, yeah, it's again, like I said, it's like this tick- ticking clock where Harry has to try to find, discover and destroy Horcruxes before Voldemort discovers what he's doing and tries to stop him, and before Voldemort finds him. Well, I would say Part 2 is the ticking clock, because Part 1 takes place over a long period of time. And, it's a very slow ticking yeah, clock. very <laughs> <slow>. <laughs> <laughs> And Voldemort isn't aware that they know what Horcruxes are yet, and so that's why there is no uh ticking clock. Whereas the second film, it's completely different from any other Harry Potter film, because it, but the majority of that film, Part 2, except for the first few minutes the rest of that movie takes place over one day it is just fast action 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 crazy scene after crazy scene after crazy scene and it takes place in such a short amount of time it's nothing has been done like that in the, in the franchise well before. you could actually argue that part one is the most different from every other book and movie because it's the only one that doesn't place take place in hogwarts yeah that's what i like about that movie yeah, it, how different it is how it's refreshing to get the, the main trio outside of the school Uh, We love the school, but it's also, it's great to explore the world and them being on the run and just everything is chaos. The ministry has been taken over. Basically, Voldemort has taken over everything and he's ruling over the entire wizarding society and, and. Pretty soon, if he doesn't get stopped, he will oversee the entire world at one point, you yeah, could say. Yeah, he basically has turned the Ministry of Magic into an authoritarian dictatorship. He's got top-down control, although he does it in the shadows. He has people under the Imperius Curse working for him. Well, he has agents that put people under the Imperius Curse, basically. In like the Pius ministry. is under the Imperius Curse. But he also has Death Eaters that are actually influential in the Ministry, and they're the ones who get close to the people to Imperius. To like actually start... Yeah, and so he's got his members in there, and then also— Harry Potter's on the run and Voldemort's trying to find him and Harry, Ron and Hermione are tasked with this impossible mission that they don't realize how hard it's going to be whereas they have to try to find horcruxes and destroy them and the problem is they don't know what they are really because in in the books in Half-Blood Prince they go through more of the pensive memories of of people who have memories of Tom Riddle in the past and so that's where they learn about like the the Helga Hufflepuff Cup, the goblet, yeah, and the the goblet, in which they eventually find in the Bellatrix Strange's vault at Ministry of Magic. So that's kind of like on his radar. And also, he puts the tiara. He grabs the tiara in Half Blood Prince, and he puts it so he, in the room for requirement. In the room of requirement, he he puts uh, the uh, Half Blood Prince's um, potions book inside of a shelf, and he puts a troll bust on top of that shelf, and then he puts the tiara on top of the troll. And so he actually has seen the tiara before. But the, the movies did a really wise thing, these two movies, by not showing those earlier in the early, early films, not showing that in Half-Blood Prince. How would Harry know what the Horcruxes are? But I think they really came up—Cloves came up with a really cool concept of what if the Horcruxes emanate some kind of sound? Um, what if Harry can feel them when he's near them? And it sounds as though you can hear tongue coming from them. So as he's near one, he can—, he can find it geographically based upon feeling sensing and hearing it which i think was really smart And the first three opening scenes of this movie are brilliant to like get us going and so it starts off basically with well first of off the warner brothers logo which i found so fascinating you actually brought it up last time how mm-hmm. it it starts off very dark but then it gets rusted by the second mm-hmm. part two film and I love the opening of the logo because it's like this metallic version, and you can kind of hear like the Horcrux screeching and noises. So yeah. that's one of my favorite parts of the Horcrux is the sound effects they added to it. But it starts off with the Ministry of Magic with Rufus Scrimger, who's the new minister, pretending – or not pretending, but saying that the ministry strong. We're going to be okay. We'll get through this, and we'll, we'll fight against Voldemort, which is, you know, we Being all know. a politician. It. Yeah, he's yeah. a politician. And then we have Hermione, Ron, and – um harry harry <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like who am i missing of the who's trio the, who's the next who's the one? third person and like what they're doing before getting going on their journey and so hermione has to unfortunately sacrifice her family and erase their memories of her from their lives and she also put a spell on them to uh Move to Australia, mm-hmm. so in the book, yeah. yeah, in the book, so that they are actually out of the UK completely. Before we continue, if you want to support Raiders of the Lost podcast, the best thing you can do is share us with your family and friends, and also become a patron at Patreon.com/slash. Obviously, Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Patrons get perks like personalized videos. You get to see our podcast schedule so you know what episodes are going to be posting. Before anyone else, top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast, which we do usually around the first of every month. And the best perk of all is every single patron has access to weekly bonus episodes of the show. These are... Bonus movie episodes no one else can see except for you. Every Tuesday we post them. Head on over to our website, Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You can see all of our sources of content, our merchandise. We just dropped some new t-shirts and custom movie posters follow subscribe hit the notification bell wherever you're listening on audio platforms if you're watching on YouTube hit subscribe notification bell like button leave a comment and thanks so much for tuning in and then Ron and his family they're kind of like re- relocated to a different location in that little hut in that little whatever village or, or forest they're in and then we have the great opening scene of is it a, a, of Harry with the twins which is super fun as well yeah. or the polyjuice potion yeah but before that I want to mention there's two things that um they put into this these movies that they had to but they weren't shown or mentioned before this it's a little confusing if you don't know the books you you see these you see this moment and you're like what is this so harry in his trunk he has a broken shard of glass and in this glass he keeps looking at it and he sees a reflection of both him, and then he sees the reflection of some kind of person with blue eyes. It belonged to yeah. Sirius. So, yeah, this is a mirror that belonged to Sirius, and this is a piece of that mirror, and Sirius gave it to him. And then also, in this movie, in the next one, it's uh, nobody is saying the word Voldemort, not even Harry. So Harry doesn't say Voldemort's name. He only says, you know who, or he who must not what, be in, named. In part one? Yeah, in part one. No, they do say his name. So that, so they actually— No, no, he, no, because—no, no, he doesn't. He doesn't because if you say his name, it, it immediately alerts. Death oh yeah, it has, it has a taboo on yeah, it. Yeah, so if you if you say Voldemort's name, people can find you. It pinpoints you. Okay. He doesn't say his name. I thought that they subtly alluded to that by saying when um, Xenophilius Lovegood says Voldemort and then they come immediately. No, Yeah, but that's like an hour and a half in the movie. I'm talking about Harry multiple times says You Know Who, Mm -hmm. where he's never said that before in any other movie. So that's why he actually doesn't say Voldemort. So they talk about that a lot in the book where it's the opposite. In the book, Harry says Voldemort a lot and they keep having risky, sketchy situations and Ron and Hermione are trying to convince him not to because Ron just kind of has a taboo against the word because he's grown up in the wizarding world anyways. And so they eventually learn that the word Voldemort is Taboo, and that's how Death Eaters are, and Snatchers are finding people. Exactly. So if you're if you walk into this movie without knowing that those two things can be a little confusing. All right, and I also forgot about Malfoy Manor, and this is a great scene. Oh, he, yeah. because we left off Half Blood Prince, uh, and if obviously you don't know the lore, you don't know what happens afterwards. We assume that Snape is officially a bad guy. He's a Death Eater for sure. He killed Dumbledore. He was the Half Blood Prince, and now he's arriving at Malfoy Manor to hang out with all the Death Eaters and their top dog Voldemort. And it's a really, um, it's a dark scene because there's that woman hanging, the professor of Muggle studies hanging above the table and, and Snape is like, Voldemort's like right hand man, he's like waiting for him. But there's this great line that Voldemort says that's kind of like sort of an innuendo where he's like, oh, we, I was, forgo- I, I was worried that you had forgotten your way, which is like. Are you a double agent, but maybe you officially aren't a double agent? That's a anymore. weird way of saying you you almost late. Yeah. That's a strange way of saying it. I think You're he's right. trying to hint at that. But now he's starting to fully trust him. And this this part is really intense because we hadn't we didn't see Voldemort fully formed Voldemort in the last film and he has completely taken over the Malfoys' home. It's basically the base headquarters for him and the Death Eaters. And you can see the amount of turmoil it's caused the Malfoys, especially Lucius, Narcissa, and Draco. Although Bellatrix, she's not a Malfoy, but she's related to Narcissa. Obviously, she couldn't be happier about the situation. And so you can see that the ways that diff- Death Eaters differently react to Voldemort's uprising and his return to power. And it's a really incredible scene of... Voldemort just showing his power dynamics and his dominance over everyone where he takes Lucius's wand and then he—we also see that he seems to trust Snape more than anyone else because like, yeah. Yaxley tries to say that they plan to move the boy uh, on the 30th of the month whereas Snape says it's a lie. They're going to move him in a, on Saturday next and Voldemort clearly immediately trusts Snape with his information over Yaxley so it seems as though Snape is the number two. Yeah, and it's also really interesting to watch all the Death Eaters how they're all clearly— Tremendously fearful of Voldemort As soon as they start talking to him they, they, You can tell in the back of their heads like If I say the wrong thing I'm going to get killed And then really The only reason why he keeps them alive Or in their party is because they're useful If they weren't useful anymore he'd just kill them Yeah and Bellatrix you could say is the only one who's not afraid To speak to him but he of, uh, often dominates her and criticizes her and ridicules her and, and puts her down. But she, is, she clearly shows that she's completely devoted to him. And she's probably more devoted than anyone else in the world to him. Yeah, and this is one of the biggest scenes that Voldemort is. I think this might be his most dialogue that we've seen besides the cemetery. cemetery yeah. Aside from that, since Goblet of Fire. So it's so interesting to watch and amazing to watch Ray finds as Voldemort. And just like his voice, it's like so soothing, but terrifying at the same way it's like you want him to read you a book but also give you nightmares you know what he reminds me of (laughs) it's pretty (laughs) funny he kind of reminds me of abe lincoln because abe lincoln also had a a high voice that's why when people were surprised when they first saw daniel Day lewis's performance as Abe, because we always saw previous adaptations of lincoln as having this deep bowling voice like i'm abe lincoln and then but in the in lots of biographies and lots of writings throughout history people often said he had a high tone which actually benefited him as a public speaker because it carries further than a deeper tone. And so I think that uh, Voldemort has that same quality where his voice is just this high pitch, high tone, which kind of makes it really disturbing whenever you hear it. And he he rarely raises his voice in situations. Yeah, you're right. He really only screams when he's trying to burst the... uh, force field of protection enchantments over Hogwarts. That's mm-hmm. like the only time we hear him scream until the end. Yeah, and and in the book, he's a little bit more snake-like, but I think the design for Voldemort in these movies is perfect. Yeah. Unbelievable. And one of the, my favorite special effects shots that like, I've ever seen in my entire life is when they use the Polyjuice potion, the Order of the Phoenix, to help oh, hide yeah. Harry amongst all of his friends. And so they have to leave Privet Drive, and as soon as Harry turns of age and 17 years old... The enchantments on the house give out you know so he has to he has to stay there as long as possible according to dumbledore's orders but as soon as he turns 17 he has the trace off of him from the ministry of magic which is wizarding law and then he has to leave but obviously the death eaters are going to be waiting so the order of the phoenix has planned for him and his friends which he didn't uh, agree to until he was forced into it to take polyjuice potions so that there are seven different harry seven right seven different harry yeah. potters technically And plus, they all are accompanied by a member of the Order of the Phoenix. It's a really amazing shot, and it is a real shot. What they do is it's the camera that moves in the same exact way over and over again. It's robotically controlled, so it's identical shot. And they do the same movement in the shot. And so what you do is you just put Daniel Radcliffe in this shot, then that shot, then that shot, then that shot. And then you piece it all together, and you erase uh, images of the other actors, and you uh, put Daniel Radcliffe's shots on top of that, and eventually you have... Uh, tons of layers that create this one singular shot with all Daniel Radcliffe, with uh seven Radcliffe's. As he's transforming from these other characters into Daniel Radcliffe, it's it's so weird to watch at the same time. I love time. when Floor's like, don't look at me, Bill, I'm ugly. It's I'm cre- hideous. It's such genius magic and such a fun scene, but it's, it's very creepy. And they have to do this because uh they can't apparate and they can't use the flu network or port key because it can be traced. Exactly. Yeah. And so they all fly. And it's a great scene because J.K. Rowling and David Yates set us up with a bombastic action sequence to get us ready for the war that's going to come in the second film. And it's a really intense moment because... As soon as they get out there there are like 100 death eaters waiting for them. It's crazy. They're all over the place. There's like dozens and dozens of them in these rows. It's terrifying. Yeah, and Alexandre's plot score in this movie is incredible. I mean, both films is great and I think he did a great job with the action sequences in this movie although he didn't get tapped for Black Widow even though he was originally hired. Yeah. I've read this theory that Hedwick gets killed obviously and people there's a theory that says that Snape's the one who killed Hedwick. Because he was doing what he could to save Harry at the moment by killing Hedwig, it would keep people off of that Harry. No. But I think it was – I think Hedwig sacrificed herself to save Harry. Well, because it's different in the book. So I think they didn't want to do what they did in the book. So in the novel – Harry Potter uses the spell expelliarmus all the time. That's like his signature move to go to. But the Death Eaters know this, and so his problem when they're escaping, and this is in the novel, he keeps using expelliarmus rather than stunning people. And even Lupin talks to him about this afterwards when they land. That he's like, you have to, at- if you're not willing to kill, you have to at least disarm and stun. And so that's how they realize that it's- that's the real Harry Potter because he's using expelliarmus. And then Henwig eventually sacrifices herself to save Harry in the book, but in the movie. I think they just had to get rid of Hedwig. They had to kill Hedwig off because that's what happens in the film. I mean, in the book, but they didn't go into depth on the Expelliarmus spell and how that's his trademark because Mm -hmm. that's completely cut. Great. Yeah, that's a great point. So that theory about Snape is just not not true. And then the big bad, Voldemort, shows up, and this is intense. And Voldemort is a special wizard in terms of he can fly without a broomstick. He's created the magic where he just flies on his own. And um, it's an intense scene because Harry at this point... He's kinda like passed he's passing out and his wand seemed it moves on its own. It's not he's not even using his wand to defend himself. It's the wand is like defending him in a way when Voldemort draws his wand on him and tries to kill him. And this is gonna this is the first bit towards Voldemort's plot in this film of trying to understand what's going on with our wands. Why can't I kill Harry? And why did our wands connect in the in the cemetery? And why did our wands connect right here? Because not only do the wands connect, but Harry's wand defeats Voldemort's wand and cracks it up. And so the damaged wand makes Voldemort understand that I need to use a different wand. Even though I, I'm using Malfoy's wand, there seems to be some kind of connection that I don't understand. And that's why, obviously, they took Ollivander so that he could uh, garner all the information you could from him. But also, this leads him on the path to leaning towards uh, finding the Elder Wand and also understanding what the Elder Wand is. Yeah, and Ollivander feel so bad for the guy because he has no idea what's going on. He thought the new wand would work, but he's not an expert in wands. And we actually learn more about wand lore and all wand makers believe in the Elder Wand, but they they try to like not tell too much information about it to make it more than just a rumor. And obviously what Voldemort doesn't understand is not the wand, it's that Harry is a horcrux within himself, yeah. and the horcrux of Voldemort in Harry was in a way defending itself from Voldemort. Because so vo- that's why yeah, it Voldemort can't kill Harry because he can't kill himself. Exactly. His soul won't let him kill him. This yeah. the biggest flaw in his plan is he never understood that he accidentally created a horcrux in yeah. Harry. Yeah, 100% so it's it's an unbelievable uh action sequence and it's so much fun and there are no serious casualties yeah mad eye dies but hey that's pretty serious man <laughs> i love mad he was barely in the last one but alistair's know. the man yeah he's he's great but uh, he's like constant the... vigilance <laughs> he's like the, if someone's gonna die it's okay if he's, he's hardly yeah i'm yeah, just kidding yeah. he's <laughs> hardly in the movies <laughs> <laughs> and you know things are normal for a bit but this is when the movie turns into a road movie and this is what i really like about this movie i, I know a lot of people say it can be slow and it can be slow but also, like that's what the characters are experiencing. Like this is taking months for them, and you we feel that. And the cinematography is gorgeous. The locations are amazing. They seem to have like traveled to the most incredible locations around Europe and the UK, mm-hmm. and absolutely stunning filmmaking. And and thanks to Hermione, they have everything they need. But also, like you, you can say that J.K. must have definitely gotten some inspiration from Lord of the Rings in terms of the locket possessing. This dark force, this dark power that corrupts whoever's wearing it, just mm-hmm. like Frodo. Yeah. And I just love, like, the characters, especially Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and how much they've grown, even just from Half-Blood Prince to this film. Yeah. I mean, Harry's transformation is was immense. Was this the longest between movies? I think Half-Blood Prince why? was 2009, so I think it's a year after, right? I could be wrong. I thought, th- I thought Half-Blood Prince was, like, 2018, 2017. The movie? Wait, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, not 2009. That movie was 20, 20... 2009. 2009. So yeah, they did it every year pretty much. Okay. And before they're on the run, I forgot to mention, and we can talk about it for a bit because I think it's fascinating. It's not so much in the movie, uh, it's heavy in the books, but it's important. And uh, Harry begins learning that there, there's a Albus Dumbledore is someone who he revered for so long, but also he barely knew, and... There's a lot of darkness involved in Dumbledore's past that Harry didn't know about. And he he slowly learns throughout this book. And, uh, you know, Dumbledore, for as good as he is and as good of a life he's lived and as all of his accomplishments when he was a young man, he was corrupted by power. And he pursued the Deathly Hallows and he wanted to to create this like wizarding, this like ruling class of wizards in the world. But yeah. he thought it was for the greater good. You could say yeah. he was not much different from Tom Riddle, exactly. Voldemort, and he actually was be- very good friends with Grindelwald, the evil wizard. And he even uh, grew into, in fact, infatuation and eventually and even loved Grindelwald in a way. Um, J.K. has often said that Dumbledore is actually he was gay in these books and. The only relationship he ever had was with Grindelwald. And it, I think it was romantic for a little bit, but ultimately it was mostly friendship, then a little bit of intimacy, and then they became enemies. Mm-hmm. And so Harry, staying on that, he, again, he, he went through a great transformation because year five, he loses his father figure. He loses Sirius Black, and then he gets another father figure in Dumbledore. Because as we explained on the podcast, Harry and Dumbledore are never really close like they are in Half-Blood Prince until year six. So that's the only time they start spending a significant amount of time together. And Harry, you know, they've always been friendly. We know that Dumbledore's always been watching him from a distance, keeping a close eye on him, and and has always cared greatly for Harry. But Harry's never had that intimate connection with him like he get, gains in, in Half-Blood Prince. And he loses him immediately. So every time Harry gets a father figure, he loses them. Same thing with Lupin. As soon as he gains a father figure in him, he's gone. He has to leave the school. And so it's a really unfortunate situation that Harry constantly goes through in the books, but Dumbledore seemed like a very special person because like you said, he revered him very much because he's like a rock star. He's Dumbledore. Like in the wizarding world, he is a superstar. He's larger than life. He's the greatest wizard to ever live. And I'm sure that it's an amazing role model for people. And he's the headmaster of your school. So he looked up to him so much and then they became so close in Half-Blood Prince and then Harry having to go through the situation with the potion in the cave and then watching dumbledore get killed by snape and and just the trauma that he's dealt with year by year and then with dumbledore and to see how well he's really dealing with it is is impressive but also as he learns at the wedding like you said he doesn't really know much about dumbledore and he gets those hints from that relative of the weasleys that that woman who's talking about how like his his sister and his was killed was killed at a very young age and his father killed muggles and, and harry's like Wait, what? And also he learns that they're both from Godric's Hollow. And and Harry's like, in the book, it goes way more in depth of where Harry's constantly questioning the fact that, like, did I really know Dumbledore? We're from the same town. We grew up in the same neighborhood. And he never brought that up to me. Yeah, and also he had a brother, Aberforth. And so Harry's struggling with the fact that Dumbledore never revealed anything personal about himself to Harry. And Dumbledore, in a way, his, his greatest qualities came out after... Uh, the mistakes of his early youth. And then he turned into the upstanding wizard that he became. But before that he was very much corrupted by his quest for power. And and it goes in the book, but he uh helped ca- he accidentally caused the death of his sister, which is why Aberforth doesn't talk to him. Aberforth. Aberforth. It's all good. I got your back. Thanks, bro. But again you so Harry's dealing with that and in the book we go through pages of, of that novel that Rita skier wrote the life and lies of albus dumbledore and harry learns more and more it's kind of in addition to the horcrux corrupting his mind the book is also corrupting his mind because he can't stop thinking about it. he can't stop reading it and he's, he can't stop believing everything he's hearing even though Elpheus doge tells him that dumbledore was true and true a great person because he was a great person but like we said he learned from a h- bunch of horrible mis- mistakes that he made in his youth exactly and the the trio are are struggling with their quest because they know what they have to do but they don't know how to do it they don't know where to look and they're kind of lost in terms of not just where they are but in terms of what to do next and Dumbledore yes left th- them each those three items and um, well Harry got two but they don't know what to do with them they ha- um, Hermione doesn't really know why the Tales of the Beetle Bard is important. Um, Ron doesn't even know what the thing is called. That the, the, the Illuminator. The Illuminator ha- that Dumbledore gave him. And and Harry can't figure out the snitch riddle. And so the three of them are kind of stuck until things get so bitter with Ron. a combination of wearing the locket, being jealous of Harry and Hermione spending time together. And just, I think, missing home as well as not knowing what to do. It caused that huge rift and that huge fight, and that's actually it's a, a really uh, pretty difficult to watch scene for throughout the entire franchise. Is like watching these best friends fight, who were are the closest brothers, and to see them hate each other for this moment was really tough to watch. And really great acting by the trio. For but it's sure, it's not the first time that they fought. Obviously, yeah. in Goblet of Fire, they had the about forty-five minutes where they didn't get along. But before that even happens, we have. The great sequence is where they go to 12 Grimmel Place and it's headquarters oh, for yeah. a little bit. So before they have to go camping, at least they have a house to, to live in. And the, in the book, they deal a lot more with Creature, the the house elf that now is Harry's technically property because he now owns 12 Grimmel Place. His series left him everything and now he's of age, so he gets to keep it. And, Pretty they're, baller. and they're still trying to figure out their game plan. And then they eventually learn that Mundungus Fletcher stole the locket from Grimmel Place that belonged to r.a.b and so r.a.b that mystery from at the end of half-blood prince ends up they find out that was sirius's brother who was slytherin he was a death eater but he tried to leave the death eaters and try to destroy voldemort's horcrux after you discover his secret but he didn't obviously know that dumbledore created many more horcruxes yeah and C- a creature like you said harry actually owns him now Although he reluctantly does. And he actually orders Creature to do things like get Mundungus Fletcher. So he becomes very useful. And, and it's great to see Dobby again. Yeah, yeah Dobby's so fun. Yeah. And he's actually voiced by Toby Jones, the British actor. Oh, no way. Yeah, I just found that out. I was like, oh, obviously that's Toby Jones. I love seeing Dobie. They, yeah. I think this is his best movie that he's in. Well, in part two, he's, he's great yeah. too. He's very funny in part two. Yeah, 100%. And the, this is such a great reveal when Mundungus re- tells them the story about how he sold it to this woman on the street. and Bloody gave it away, didn't I? <laughs> for like 10 galleons. Not two, even. Yeah, and then he's like, she's there on the, on the paper, isn't she? And it's, guess who it is? Dolores Umbridge. Dolores Umbridge. And one of my favorite entire sequences of all the franchise movies, of all these movies, is the breaking into the ministry with the Polyjuice Potion and, and getting the locket from Dolores. It's so much fun uh it's it's just a great 30 minutes of the film it's the it's the highlight of this movie yeah you're on edge the whole time and there's so much you learn about getting into the ministry of magic and the the fountain statue has been changed where it's all the muggles holding up the 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 floor and ground of the of the magic and of the of the wizards and magic is might as the new slogan and they see harry undesirable number one newspaper and poster clippings all over the walls and they they eventually learn that they're all under investigation and they're trying to take out all of the order of the phoenix and I think Alexander Desplat's music is so great in all these scenes especially yeah. like when he causes the commotion outside Dolores' oh, yeah. office and it's so fun and the ministry has become very scary because most of the ministry officials are under the imperious curse uh, under the imperious curse and those of who aren't are very open to what's happening like Dolores Umbridge she's not under the Imperius curse. She just loves what's going on and she's all for it. Whereas someone like Pius, he's under the Imperius curse and he's a vital to the ministry as well. But Dolores, this is like her, like her happy place now. Like everything's going how she likes it to go. Punishments are being dolled out. Half-Bloods and, and Muggleborns are being put on trial, questioned for their wizardry. And it's really intense situation. In there's, and Dolores is just enjoying every moment of it. Yeah, we talked about her in the last episode where Dolores Umbridge is such an evil person that she has a horcrux around her neck, she has dementors above her, she's prosecuting innocent wizards for being muggles and lying through her teeth about it, and she still is able to cast a Patronus throughout the whole situation, yeah, it's which crazy. is wild. And also, it's really interesting to point out like someone like Mr. Weasley is there as well, and... Even though he's a pureblood, he's still under investigation, obviously, for his affiliation. But even someone like him isn't purely, completely safe from what's happening, even though he's pureblood. Exactly. And for where his loyalties lie yeah. more than anything. And what's so much fun about this sequence is, like, the kids don't know where to go. They've, they've been in the ministry, but not, like, to the different... Hallways, and hallways and offices. And offices. They don't know where to go, and the elevators seem to have like a mind of their own at times. And and it, it's so much fun, especially when Ron has to try and figure out the the reigning office of ya- of Yaxley's, and then he's like, "Oh, what, what about my wife, <laughs> Ron? You don't have a wife." <laughs> oh, right. But the um the sequence in the trial, it's really scary because it shows you what's happening in the in the Wizarding world, especially with the Ministry, where this woman this this witch is on trial for um stealing the wand from a, a witch and they're in cl- dolores is claiming that she's a muggle and she's being put on trial and there's no like they took her wand away and how can she provide any evidence if she doesn't have her-, her wand to do any magic and it's just a horrible situation and you can only imagine how many wizards and witches this is happening to on a daily basis in the world yeah but fortunately harry's there to save the day and- one mustn't tell lies and harry is able to cast that Patronus, and they all escape, and it's, it's such a fun sequence, and especially, most importantly, they get the, the locket from Dolores. Oh, yeah. Which is what they need, but unfortunately, as they're apparating out of the Ministry of Magic after going through the flu Network, you actually get to grab them, and Hermione has to... Splint has to apparate them somewhere else From 12 Grimo Place And Ron gets splinched And splinching They go into more detail in the book And that's in year six When they're learning how to apparate Splinching is when you apparate But part of your body gets left behind And so it's actually a real problem And like in the in the book They have like they show. They talk about the lessons, and they have the yeah. hoops that they have to apparate in and out of. And someone's like arm gets stuck somewhere else. And Her, uh, Ron failed his test because his eyebrow was left behind when he apparated. Yeah, and so it's very common if you don't if you're not being careful. And so unfortunately, Ron gets severely injured from it. Like we talked about earlier with the, the trouble, and then they break up, and Ron leaves. And this is, this is a tough moment for for Hermione, especially because. You know, we know that she loves Ron and she wants to be with him, and then he just left them, and he half expected her to go with him. Although she, he doesn't, he underestimated how loyal she was to Harry more than anything. Well, she's loyal to Harry and also loyal to stopping Voldemort. And Ron, you know. Dumbledore knew Ron would leave and would need a way to get find his way back, which is why he gave him the del- Deluminator in his will. And keep Ron- talking about that light going into your heart. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and Ron, you know, he he didn't understand fully what he was signing up for when they were going on this mission to, to find Horcruxes, and he thought they'd be finding them sooner. He thought they'd be destroying it. He's constantly irritated about the fact that they, yeah, they have one, but they're as close to destroying it as they were. Are finding another one they have he thought that harry would have this master plan that dumbledore left him and he's he's failing to realize that harry was completely honest with both of them he told them everything he knew from dumbledore he told him every single word he told them yeah and there's this really sweet scene where harry in a way of comforting hermione they they dance to that nick cave song and it's a nice scene it's not in the book obviously and i think they improvised it and and cloves came up with the concept of let's just have them s- Uh, dance to like this contemporary song that audiences are familiar with and just a way of, like, showing, like, you know, it's not—the world's not over. We're still, you know, we're still kicking and have a little hope left. We get to see, a, like, some silly Daniel Radcliffe, yeah, too, which yeah, doesn't, yeah. like, fully fit in with Harry's yeah, character. No, but you wouldn't—I yeah, feel like Harry would You're like, do that's that. totally—that's totally Daniel Radcliffe right yeah, there. the way he's, like, dancing and twirling, it's definitely not Harry. <laughs> <laughs> he would never do that. But it's still funny. It's a very sweet yeah. scene, but it's almost—it's pointless in a way. It's futile because she's still just broken up over Ron leaving. Yeah, and then—oh, they, they go to Godric's Hollow. Yeah, so— oh, Harry. Harry and they are kind of stuck still, and they don't really know what to do. They don't know where there are any Horcruxes might be. They're—they're d- they're trying to figure out how to get the Sword of Gryffindor because they—they they figured out, or she figured out, that it can kill Horcruxes because it only takes in that which makes it stronger. And, and the, the Sword of Godric Gryffindor was sharpened and, and helped, helped forged with Basilisk venom, so it's well, it's because um, he killed it with Basilisks. So that's where the venom came in. Oh yeah, so it takes yeah. in that. It wasn't a fortune <laughs> venom. No, I thought that she said. Doesn't she? It, say- it takes in that which makes it stronger. So ven- the venom of the basilisk uh, imprinted itself into the sword to make it stronger. I thought that they use basilisk venom for making it. I, I I think you're. I think. I think I'm right. You might be right. Yeah, yeah. I'm just but I mean, it. hey, if anyone knows, let us know in the comments. It's one of us. Yeah. one of us is right. Whoever is wrong dies. <laughs> But either way, the sword's impregnated with Basilisk venom, so it yeah. can take out a Horcrux like no problem, guys. Yeah. It's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> but they're trying to figure out what the hell do we do, and you know, they're also dealing with the, the that symbol that they don't understand—the triangle, the circle, and the in the that one. Yeah, it's right on the wall, in the line down the middle. And Hermione, it's, it's notices that it's etched inside the beetle, tails of the beetle, and the bard that Dumbledore left her, and she's trying to understand first of all. What does it mean? And second of all, why would someone put this in a children's book? And obviously, it was probably Dumbledore put it there. Like I don't know how you didn't figure that out, Hermione. I thought you were super smart. It couldn't have been Dumbledore. <laughs> <laughs> and Harry really wants to go to Godric's Hollow, not only because he wants to do something, because they for weeks have been like figuring out, trying to sitting around just not doing anything, trying to figure they out what's staring to do. at rocks. Yeah, it was nomad land for twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> But he wants to go to his birthplace. He wants to go to the place where his parents died. He wants to see his home. He wants to feel some sort of connection to that as well as a connection to Dumbledore as well. And also, earlier in the movie, he saw a previous book that Batilda Bagshot wrote, and it has a Image of her on the cover, on the back cover, yeah. so he knows what she looks like. Which is why, when they get to Godric's Hollow after they go, they go to the cemetery and they see that the Peveril stone has the Deathly Hollow sign on it as well, and they see uh, the Potter's tombstone. Then, when they see that old lady in in the streets staring at them like super creepy, it's actually he can recognize her from the book as being Backshot. Yeah. He also saw the symbol of the triangle, the circle, and the and the line the deathly hollow symbol we can call it that yeah. we're not spoiling yeah anything. I mean, it's just a lot faster to say Deathly definitely <laughs> i was like should i spoil this or should I not everyone's seen this. i know i know I know. um he, he saw that around xenophilius's love good ne- his neck his neck necklace at the yeah. um the wedding at the wedding for ron's brother bill and fleur de la Cor. great job <laughs> you're like looking at me like you you can do it <laughs> get it out but this scene is so scary because Batilda doesn't say anything, and then when she and Harry go up to the attic, then she starts speaking Parseltongue, and Harry, you know, it can be a bit thick sometimes. Yeah, (laughs) well, I mean, you would think that it's great magic because Bathilda looks just like a normal old lady who doesn't want to talk. And like, oh, yeah. does she have the sort of Gryffindor? Maybe she's hiding it. Yeah, Did, yeah, she knew Dumbledore. Did he give it to her? So, yeah. but when Bathilda starts to fall apart and a giant snake comes out of her, you're like, holy crap! It's insane. It's a great sequence. It's super scary. And um, then the blood in the ceiling that Hermione—oh my finds. god, yeah—that's the the most gory thing you've Straight seen. Great horror French movie. movie. Yeah, it's great. But luckily they escaped just in time, but it's great special effects, great visual effects. Although in the book Voldemort comes yeah, in. I, I don't know yeah. why they didn't put it there. Why maybe, not? Maybe they couldn't have Rafe for that day. They couldn't have Rafe for that day? Uh. That is a dumb excuse. It's not in the script. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't write this in. I bet Rafe wouldn't be available on this randomly that we filmed. Maybe they did write it he just couldn't work that day no, out. That's, no, that, it, that's stuff how it works, man. Like They would know when that's Voldemort- That's exactly how it works. <laughs> It's just one of those things that, like, they could have added it. It would have been great because, because yeah. uh, the snake Nagini calls um, Voldemort after it leaves Bethilda's body. And when you watch the scene again, you kind of question, like, why doesn't why isn't Voldemort showing up? Because, yeah. like, I know they didn't it seemed like they didn't want to put him in the scene for a reason, but also it's like, Harry's there for, like, five minutes. Like, there's plenty of time for Voldemort to apparate there. He can just look right into what he, Magin, Nagini's mind Maybe see. Maybe they want to do, like, more of a jaw situation. Like, the less you see Voldemort, the better. That's what I say. That's what I think. I think that's probably what they were going for. Yeah. And it's probably cheaper. But it's super scary in the book, because you're like, oh, shit, is Voldemort about to attack them? Yeah, but they escape, but unfortunately Harry's wand gets... Sp- split in half and broken when Hermione uses a a curse that rebounds and so unfortunately Harry's wand is kaput he's screwed and so it's the first time in his life he's had a broken wand and now he's he's running chamber secrets (laughs) and this is where the um one of the most mysterious things of the whole franchise occurs where Harry sees the doe the patronus doe just wandering in the woods and he follows it and we don't see who cast it so we have no idea who is fault leading him here but I, obviously, it's, it could be dangerous, but it seems as though since it was a Patronus, it must be good, whatever it's leading him towards. Yeah. So that's why he follows it. And he's curious. Yeah. And again, he's super bored. And he's sad <laughs> because his wand's destroyed. And his Game Boy battery died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sees the, the sword glittering under that Glistening. Glistening. Glittering? Yeah. Glistening? Glistening. Well, glistening is more like, like this cup is glistening with moisture. Glistening is like sparkling. You say glittering. Glittering is like <laughs> sparkling. <laughs> Glistening is sparkling. Glittering. This glittering sword <laughs> under the ice <laughs> in this lake. <laughs> this bedazzled sword. But he knows what it is. He clearly knows it's the sword of, of, of Gryffindor. And in the book, they go into more detail where Dumbledore does later on that the sword has to be left somewhere for the wielder to obtain through great difficulty or, 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 or courage or, or strength or something like that. So you can't just, like, leave it, like, hanging on, like, a tree. you got to put it somewhere that's hard to get. Yeah, but Harry should have used the spell of, like, fire to warm that water up. Yeah, I, mean, I have five you're minutes wizard, of fire. a wizard, bro. Five minutes of fire, it would have been, like, a hot tub. Yeah, it <laughs> I would have chilled in there all night. <laughs> then it probably would have disappeared because it's not challenging. Could have made, like, a barbecue skewer with a sword. <laughs> but we all know the Locker locket tried to drown him which is a great moment, and he gets trapped under the ice. And then and then, uh, good old Ron Weasley shows up and saves the day, pulls that sword out, and then rightfully so, he earned the the right to destroy the locket once and for all. And there's that great sequence where uh, Harry opens the locket up by speaking parcel tongue. He kind of like realizes, oh, this is, I get, in the moment, this is how to open it up. And then just like with the uh, Chamber Secret Store, and there's that really great sequence um of the locket trying to scare Ron, and then you get... Uh, Ron and Hermione, Ron and Harry, Hermione and and uh, Harry making you out. You got it, you got it. <laughs> Basically what it's showing is Ron Weasley's biggest fears, starting with like the spiders and stuff, but yeah. also his biggest fear that Hermione and Harry have a relationship because that's the reason why he left one of them was because he's getting jealous of them too, constantly hanging out and trying to like, he thinks they're like having a blast and chilling, but they're yeah. trying to figure out the horcruxes. And also being the last Weasley boy and not and being ignored by everyone and being uh the, the least favorite of the family and living in harry potter's shadow he's just yeah. harry potter's friend who are you to harry potter, potter. the chosen Ron one weasley i've seen inside your head <laughs> great job It's <laughs> pretty good that's good, that's good voldemort <laughs> but I, I love the fact about this trio is how each of them has a chance to kill a horcrux and deservedly so and it kind of it, it adds so much more to them as a partnership rather than Harry just kind of doing everything, which is what I really love about the story. Yeah, and I love after Ron kills it and then he shows back up and Hermione's obviously super pissed, but then Ron is like being super nice yeah. to her. He's like <laughs> agreeing with everything she says. He's like, yeah, let's take a vote. I vote yes. <laughs> Where he was all he always used to argue with everything Hermione said. Yeah. It's super funny. <laughs> and he he actually has extra wands because as Ron explains to him, there are snatchers everywhere that Try, or picking up wizards that are on the run, trying to escape either the country or go somewhere else. And he's been traveling trying to find them for a while. Yeah, he said that as soon as I left, I tried to find you, but I knew you'd been gone. I couldn't, wouldn't be able to find you because of the enchantments and everything. But then the Illuminator showed her hitting the little ball of light that went right into his chest. But in the book, I believe he goes to Shell Cottage. and he's He was back of, with his family. He's kind of ashamed of what he did. He spends yeah. Christmas there. He sees the light through his window yeah. when he's in bed. But what he sees is his love for Hermione is pouring out of him, and that's how the Deluminator is able to locate Hermione in, in the this dist- wherever she is. And he just apparates right to them. Because Dumbledore understands that the greatest power of all is love. love. Well, in language is the greatest magic of all, he says. No, but, but love there- love is time and time again. How do you know that, like, Ron and Hermione were, were like, close like that? He watches them. <laughs> <laughs> so gross, dude. <laughs> and then we get one of my favorite characters, Xenophilia. Z- Xenophilius? Xenophilius? Xenophilia. Well, is it Xenophilius? Or Xenoph... No, it's Xenophilius. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're pronouncing ran... no, I'm names wrong all day today, kid. Who, uh, who's Luna's dad, and uh, Rice of Fons plays him. He, he was a perfect choice as well, and he clearly seems like he's Luna's dad for sure, but this scene is so important because we learn the tale of the three brothers, and- I, this is one of my favorite parts of the, the the both two parts because the animation for the story of the three brothers is really fantastic. Oh, it's and beautiful, yeah. So beautiful, so well done, and animation you've never seen before. And whoever, whatever um, team did it, like they knocked it out of the park. It was an unbelievable animation. Yeah, because it's such a fascinating story. And also, you're going to have to, if you're going to do an animated sequence, it has to match or compare to the film. And this is a. $200 million movie, and it's some of the best production work you'll ever see in a film, so you gotta try to step up the game of animation and, and make it interesting as well as very high quality. And it seems like a great choice for how to tell a story, because what are you gonna do, just have her mind you read the book for, for five minutes on screen? Because you have to show this story, even though they haven't really talked about it, so Ben Hyben was in charge of the animation of the tale and the three brothers so that was a fantastic job great job ben um i was googling it because that guy deserves a shout out oh yeah because you they have to start talking about the the deathly hollows because it's it's this mystery that they haven't touched on too much but there's some relation to it with dumbledore the peverils xenophilius and even the elder wand which is something that olivander was trying was telling voldemort about because we start to see those visions that harry has which are the most vibrant and realistic that he's had of voldemort he's literally seeing through voldemort's eyes fully and he's watching him talk to Ollivander, he's watching him talk to that other wand maker gregorovich and he's trying to find the elder wand and the deathly hollows are the only way to cheat death and jk like we said before draws from historical fiction in mythological fiction and there are a ton of mythical stories about char- people and characters uh, cheating death. So it was actually a common theme in ancient stories to try and figure out a way to escape death because death is a mystery to everyone and it always was. Yeah. And before we talk more about the, the brother's story and the Deathly Hollows, when you're on the run from the Dark Lord— Grooming can be a hassle. That's why Harry made sure to head on over to manscaped.com. And he got the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer using our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off in free shipping. <laughs> I got that whole sentence out. This brand new groomer is waterproof, skin safe, has a 7,000 RPM wireless charger, built in light, which is like the coolest thing ever. It's amazing. Fellas, you got to get on Manscaped. Everyone listening, if you don't know what kind of gift to get your man or the man in your life... You got multiple men in your life <laughs> for like a birthday or like, I love your present or Hey, this take this hint present. Like you got to, take care of yourself you know you've been living in lockdown for too long and <laughs> things are starting to grow out of control i recommend getting your hands on their performance package 4.0 which has the 4.0 trimmer but also it has the weed whacker plus some other great products like their boxer bruce which are super comfortable so join the over 2,000 men worldwide, worldwide. who trust manscaped with our exclusive offer 20 percent off and free shipping using raiders of the lost at checkout at manscaped.com Yeah, I mean, J.K. never wrote in a grooming spell in the books, so there's nothing. I know, man. Got to get the (laughs) 4.0. And so the story of the three brothers is so fascinating because we learn about the Elder Wand. We learn about which is the most powerful wand of all. Because these three brothers, they try to cross that river, but there is no bridge. And usually death would get the victims from people who try to cross that river from from the, the water, obviously, and drowning. But they cheated death because they made a bridge and made it across. And so one asks for the most powerful wand of all time. One asks for a stone to bring back the dead of loved ones, and then one asks for a cloak of invisibility. And these are all gifts that death gives to the brothers, trying to trick them to get their their death later on anyways because they all succumb to their death. Their, Treasures, basically. Although interestingly, other people have had invisibility cloaks. Like Harry's isn't isn't the only one that's existed. No, but the thing with Harry's is, and they talk about it more in the book, is it's the only one in history that, that is, is flawless, completely foolproof, completely, yeah. completely invisible. There are invisibility yeah. cloaks in the wizarding world, but they wear out. They like are discolored after a long time. Yeah. But Harry's is perfect. And also, the cloak of invisibility that brother is the only one that survived and welcomed death as an old friend and he took the cloak off and decided it's my time to die yeah he made the wise choice but the brother with the elder one he got his throat slit in the middle of the night the one with the resurrection stone brought brought his lost his dead loved his dead wife from the dead but she was not the same person really she was like this ghost zombie of a person and he ended up killing himself and so they all led to their own death except for Invisibility cloak guy, he chose it. And Dumbledore and Grindelwald, they were obsessed with this when they were teenagers and young men, and they pursued the they pursued the Deathly Hollows. and And we eventually learned that Dumbledore did eventually. Well, Grindelwald got the Elder Wand first, but Dumbledore did eventually uh, obtain the Elder Wand. He also obtained the Resurrection Stone. Yeah, he Stone did. Yeah, because he's obviously he gives it to Harry inside the Snitch. And the thing with the the Resurrection Stone is he tried to use it again, and also. He got the curse on his hand from touching the ring, right? Mm-hmm. So he he had two situations of overconfidence. But the Resurrection Stone he left to Harry because in his mind it was not necessarily Hollows versus um, Horcruxes, but it was I think it was more of preventing Voldemort from gathering all the all the Deathly Hollows or the Elder Wand. But I would say it's more because he knew that Harry in order to walk into his own death, would need the support and encouragement of his loved ones to help him on that path. Yeah, probably. So I think that's why he left it, so that he could resurrect the souls of those five who... Helped lead him through the Forbidden Forest to Dumbled- yeah. to Voldemort. But again, I think it's just so more so important to note that Harry's cloak is so special. in the book, even the three of them are like when Xenophilius is telling the story and they're like, But no invisibility cloak has ever been found before, and they're like, Yo, we got a pretty dope one. Yeah, this was sick. <laughs> it's legit. <laughs> and then obviously the, the Death Eaters show up because Xenophilia said the Xenophilius. name Voldemort. Xenophilia said the name Voldemort. As a way of ho- hoping to get his kidnapped Luna back, and the trio, uh, the, the the trio escape the Death Eaters and we're back in the woods. And this is uh, uh again they're they're figuring out what to do, where to go from here, where to go from here, and unfortunately, pretty quickly they get snatched up. Yeah, they get caught by the snatchers. And the great action scene, them running through the woods. It's very reminiscent of Sherlock Holmes: The Game of Shadows. Yeah, I can't remember this one came out first. This one came out first. Yeah. I thought Game of Shadows was two thousand nine. No, that was Sherlock Holmes. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Anyways, they get captured, and Hermione very cleverly messes up her- Harry's face because, you know, they don't want anyone to know that that's Harry Potter because they would be so screwed and they would be killed by Voldemort. Mom and dad would be so mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> but they bring him to Malfoy Manor, and when we get to Malfoy Manor, we see that the Malfoys are even more... And desi- they desire more to get into Voldemort's good graces because they've fallen so low compared to the other Death Eaters. They're like a laughing stock of them all. Exactly, and if they can br- if they can deliver Harry to him, then everything will be forgiven. They also discover that in the basement, Luna's um, imprisoned there, as well as Olivander, and also there's a goblin down there, uh, Hook. and Hook is. We don't know why Hook is there yet. But we'll eventually learn later in the next one. But um, th- this is a, a situation where in the in the book, Pettigrew's silver hand comes into play here. But it doesn't happen in the movie. They didn't have time to explain it or go through it. But his, his silver hand plays a vital role to this moment of the, of the story. But ultimately, it played out really well in the movie. But before that, two very important things happen where as they get in there with the snatchers, Beat- um, Bellatrix I like <laughs> Beatrix, Beatrix kiddo, kiddo <laughs> from our last episode Bellatrix n- notices the sword of Gryffindor and that's supposed to be inside her vault in the Ministry of Magic so she's like how did you get a, a hold of this sword where did you get that sword and so she's interrogating um, Hermione over it after she kicks all the snatchers out but also Draco knows that it's Harry Potter. He knows it's It's Hermione, knows it's Ron. You're right, it's obvious it's Harry. It's been my arch-nemesis and rival at school for a decade now, and I hate the guy, but Draco, even since the Astronomy Tower, this is where J.K. and filmmakers are gathering empathy for Draco from the audience. And, And Draco, he's not a killer. His soul is saved by Dumbledore, basically, and by Snape. And so he's not completely lost to the dark side yet. And so... In a way, he doesn't want Harry Potter to die. He's, he basically saves Harry Potter's life right here. Yeah, and it's it's a great moment, and it's clearly Harry, and he could clearly just give him up, and it would be over by now because Harry's disarmed. Like Voldemort would just Avada Kedavra him. Well, I mean, then... And then they would go through all that again, yeah. but then he could kill him after You'd that. You'd have to ad- Avada Kedavra him twice. Yeah. <laughs> two, two, two Avadas. But it would not be good. Yeah. But, but I love... You, you go. No, you go. I'll go because I had something great to say. Yeah. <laughs> But then we're in the basement and I love how, you know, they don't know what to do. They can't escape. Ollivander like and Luna are like, Yo, we've tried everything. But then <laughs> Harry looks through the the mirror and he sees the eyes like we need help. In the book he says we're a malformed Manor. And Dobby shows up. And this is my might be my favorite scene with Dobby in the entire yeah. franchise because he's so happy to see Harry and 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 Ron and everyone else, and he's like, "I can get you guys out of here." And Harry's like, "Can you operate in and out of this baby?" And he's like, "Of course, I'm, a I'm house an elf. elf. I'm an elf. I'm an elf." <laughs> elves have more have very mysterious powers that even wizards don't have. Yeah, in, so in some ways they're more powerful than wizards. But wizards refuse to um, share the secrets of wand lore with elves and goblins because they could probably use. Swans oh, yeah. as well. They would be more powerful, probably. Yeah, and Dobby gets them out of there, but unfortunately, when they apparate with everyone, Bella gets that knife through, and we have the the saddest scene maybe in the entire franchise. Maybe even sadder than Dumbledore's death is the death of Dobby. I not, think so. Yeah, Michelle Cottage is really it's sad. very moving. It's it's so sad because Dobby is such a great character because he's so pure and so innocent, and he loves Harry Potter so much, and he would do anything for him. He would happily die for Harry Potter, which he does, and all he cares about is having him as a friend. To be here with friends. Such a beautiful place <laughs> to be with friends. So sad, so sad. And then uh Harry buries him properly. Properly. Without magic. Except for the etching on the on the tombstone. Shh, shh don't worry about it. Here lies Dobby, a free elf. And it's it's a very moving scene. And it's how we basically Almost completely end the first film because then after that, dun, dun, dun. Voldemort goes into Dumbledore's tomb and gets the Elder One. And then just lightning shoots up and it's like, let's go. It's a great way to end the movie. It's the perfect, uh, uh, perfect, it's perfect what? Perfect midway point. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Got it out. <laughs> Want to do some trivia for this one? Yeah, we're about our midway point almost. So let's do, no, let's do intermission. Let's do trivia, then intermission. Oh, okay, so Deathly Hallows do... part one. All right, Deathly Hallows part one trivia. Here yeah. we go. What do you got? Jason Isaacs, who plays Lucius Malfoy, originally considered not returning for this movie, fearing that his character's arrest and imprisonment at the end of Order of the Phoenix would mean very little if any screen time, so he didn't want to like waste his time. But when he met with J.K. Rowling, he begged her to let him out of prison, but and he and she emo- immediately told him, "Don't worry, you're out." Chapter 1. <laughs> After hearing this, Isaacs immediately signed on for the part 1 and 2. Filming The Seven Harrys was so complex at Privet Drive with the polyjuice potion that Daniel Radcliffe counted over 90 takes for just a single shot. Well, Very complex it. filmmaking and it turned out phenomenal. Yeah. When Emma Watson saw the set for Hermione's bedroom at her home, she told the set decorators that need, there need to be more books, which they happily accommodated. This was actually the film where David Holmes who was Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double on these films, was seriously injured on set at Leavesdown Studios, and he was performing an aerial sequence, I believe, on the broom or the motorcycle, and he fell to the ground following an explosion, which was part of the stunt, The but stunt sustained a serious back injury and became paralyzed, I believe, from the waist down. Mm-hmm. But he actually started his own production company, and he's he's thriving and making a lot of great productions over there. Good for him. So it's, it's a really good story. Uh, for unfortunately a terrible situation yeah harry melling who plays dudley lost so much weight during the one-year hiatus from half-blood prince that he had to wear special face and body prosthetics to make him look much larger like dudley in the books it take it took the makeup department six months to create these prosthetics to look real enough when viewed close up but ironically at the end Nearly every single one of Dudley's shots were cut from the movie, yeah. so he's barely even in it. All we see is him getting, like, the back of him getting into the car, yeah. and then just like his voice for a second. He's like, "I still don't understand why we have to leave." But actually, in the book, it's more touching where he leaves out the tea for Harry, and Harry thinks he was a sabotage to mess with them. And then he's like, shakes his hand. He's like, "He's like, why isn't he coming with us?" I don't think you're a waste of space. But why isn't he coming with us? And like, and, and <laughs> Harry's like, "Well, gee, <laughs> gee, Duds." He's like, "That's like Thanks, saying, I, that's like saying I love you from Dudley." <laughs> Let's see. You know what? Actually, is a great fact. Also, is that um, Donald Donald Gleason, who plays Bill Weasley, is the son of the the actor who plays Alistair Moody, Brendan Gleason. Mm-hmm. So it's actually cool to see father and son in the same scene. And uh, in the novel, they say that Bill, being scarred, now resembles Moody. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, Victor Crumb is actually in the wedding scene, and he filmed scenes in this movie at Bill and Flora's wedding. There's even a sequence where he danced with Hermione during a song, but they cut all of it from the film. Yeah, you're right. He's in the book. Yeah. Let's see what else we got. Warwick Davis plays multiple roles in this movie. He not only plays Professor Flitwick, but he also plays Griphook in this movie. Hermione's bloodstained hands were digitally cleaned up for the trailer to ensure a wider PG-13 distribution. It's a good shot. Let's see. Oh, N- Nicholas Hooper turned down the opportunity to score both of these final movies, saying that working on Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince took a toll on his family's personal life. So I'm sure he's working like 12 hours a day for like three years on those. Yeah. Now let's head on over to our intermission before we get into part two. Let's go. And we'll begin with our movie quote competition. I have two. One is from me, and this is the first one. It is, I will have a Polynesian pearl driver. Do not spare the rum. Django Unchained. chain. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Calvin candy. Yeah. And then this is from Grace and Yountz, by the way. So my mistake, four cotton. Four coffins. Good and the bad and the ugly. Well fistful of dollars. Fistful of dollars. Alright, here's my quote. You've got red on you. Give <laughs> <laughs> everyone a moment. I'm sure everyone knows this one. Sean of the Dead. Yay. Ding ding. ding, ding, ding. That's a good that's an easy one. Yeah. All right, guess this movie release year, My Neighbor Totoro. To- 1995. 1988. Damn. It's way off. It's an old one. I've never seen it. <laughs> never seen it? No. It's a really good one. Okay, here is my movie release year. Kingdom of Heaven. 2007. 2005. Ah! Very close. Very close. I so that way too confidently, yeah. too. I was like, I got this. You waited. No. <laughs> you you were like, I, I know this is right. All right, movie pop quiz time. In Blade Runner 2049, what is the date carved into the feet of the wooden horse that K finds from his memories? It is also the same date that he finds on the roots of the tree. Oh, man. It was actually this There's one day in the entire history of mankind where it's Blade Runner 2049 day, and it just happened. I'll give you a hint last it's month. June? Yeah. June 12th. Nah. June 10th, 2021. So June 10th, 2021 was Blade Runner 2049 day, and it will never happen again. Oh, cool. Dame Maggie Smith is famous for playing Professor McGonagall in Harry Potter, but what big-time British TV show is she also starring? Downton Abbey. Yep. Yeah. That's right. I've never even seen an episode of that show. Whoa, what a badass. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do our biggest hater of the week. Let's hear it. And this was actually... This guy was probably the biggest hater of the entire year maybe because maybe of the podcast history. Um we had this great situation where we were we, we we were very lucky to be being watched by some like big people in in like the industry and so Universal Pictures sent us a great Package about M. Night Shyamalan's new movie, Old, that comes out on July 23rd. in this big box we posted it on our Instagram and TikTok and stuff, and so you can check it out. We unboxed it, and it's got us it's like it's really cool care package. There's a suitcase inside of with all sorts of goodies, and like they made passports with old versions of our faces <laughs> on it. So, <laughs> super like, super creepy, it was really nice. It's actually a great gift, yeah, they did um, a great job. But uh, so we posted this great unboxing, and people loved it, it was so cool. But there's this one guy. MJ Zim twenty eight. MJ he, Zim twenty eight. And he wrote, Spoiled kids these days, LOL. And I, I was not gonna respond, but I'm just like, first of all, how are we spoiled? So I wrote Spoiled, you mean two guys have who have two guys who bust their asses Every week, working hundred- huh? I can't even talk tonight. You got it, you got it. I said, spoiled? You mean two guys who have busted their asses working a hundred plus hours a week to create one of the most popular film podcasts on the planet in a year? And he's like, yup, kids don't go out and work anymore and rely on social media to make money. Sorry, but not sorry. Such an idiot. So first of all, this guy is crapping on people who are using social media to market their- Businesses, which we started a business, you know. Everyone does it now. It's 2021. every business does it. But he's he's making fun of people on social media who have a business on there while he's on social media, probably in his mother's basement, cruising through. Who knows how many how much content? This dude must just comment negative stuff on so many videos every day. Yeah, and he kept going. He's like, I've been working since I was 16, like, serving food. Bro, we've had jobs since we were 14. I was a yeah. bartender for two years. Yeah, I, I served tables for, like, eight years. My goodness. Yeah. We've been working since we were kids. It's it's, un, it's infuriating to hear that because the guy has no idea how much work we put into the show. You and I, we put probably around 100 hours every week into the show. Maybe even more now because yeah. we're doing the bonus episodes. It's not just TikTok. Yeah, That's, it, like, 10% of the job yeah, at and, the show. And then he's—and then— I said, you clearly know nothing about media production or editing, and he goes, "I don't see how sitting on a chair and turning on a camera is work." It's like, <laughs> dude, are you kidding me? You don't know anything, man. It's it's pretty wild. He's just jealous. He's a he's he hates us because he ain't us. He said, "Hate us because they ain't us. <laughs> Peter, peanut butter and jelly." He's just peanut butter and jelly. Ain'ters gonna ain't, and hater's gonna hate. Haters <laughs> <laughs> gonna ain't us. ainers Ain'ters. got us. James, James Franco line. Yeah yeah, 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 from yeah. The, the interview, price. no, the interview. Oh, the interview, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hate because they ain't us. What hey a, man, we we love the package, and I'm sorry that you're upset that you don't get a package from Universal Pictures, bro. And also, some of our fans actually defended us in that comment, so nice. appreciate y'all. But it was super cool. Yeah. Like we're very grateful to get stuff like that from studios. Yeah, it was awesome. I have a I have a couple of the uh, other haters of the week. Let me uh, say them real quick. It's that Bry guy said on my Chris Nolan clip. Everybody knows this. You're going to look up fun facts and then make videos about them. At least cite the website, LOL. And then obviously he was a a hater, an unsubscribed hater, but someone took it seriously and said, bro, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Unsubscribed. Unsubscribed. And then on my Rooney Mara clip that I posted uh, the other day. R. Day Eldon said, Seriously, like how can you even think it's the best movie depicting investigation when Steve Martin's Pink Panther exists? Unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. If you guys aren't checking out on YouTube, you can see that uh, I'm wearing our official unsubscribe T-shirt. Are yeah, Anthony it, just designed it. The, the official slogan of the podcast for right now. Yeah, you can get it on our website, RaidersLostPodcast.com. We sell all of our merch through Teespring. Yeah. We got all, all sorts of shirts and hoodies. and. We have some more designs coming out too, Anthony. Oh, he's, yeah. Anthony's been been working hard on those. The, the, the apparel guy over here. I'm the CFO of apparel. Unsubscribed. Unsubscribe. unsubscribe. all right let's get to our biggest supporters of the week all right our first one is from hayden b26 he left this great review best film podcast you can find if i could give these guys a hundred stars i would that's a lot of stars not only are they very knowledgeable and versed in film they also make the listening experience fun if you love all things film hilarious brothers well i'm pretty funny i don't know about you who rag on each other (laughs) ouch (laughs) In Boston accents You'll love this podcast That's Keep a wicked pisser. The awesome work James and Anthony You guys are the bomb That's a wicked pisser review guys. Thanks Hayden you're, you're a wicked cool guy <laughs> And then we have Russ Turner Best movie podcast I first saw these guys On TikTok And decided to listen in When they started discussing The Harry Potter films Oh yeah From there I was hooked If you're a movie buff And love talking film This is the podcast You should be listening to You should be listening to it And you're already listening to it So you're already here Good job guys I love it And on this day in film history Today is July 29th 1928 test footage was first created for Walt Disney's Steamboat Willie with Mickey Mouse. 1954 publication of the Fellowship of the Ring, first volume by J.R.R. Tolkien, published by George Allen in, uh, in Unwin in London. Uh, in 2000, Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt got married. <laughs> <laughs> A little drama there for you. In 1994, The Mask was released, and in 1983, National Lampoon's Vacation was released. Very cool. And uh, my streaming recommendation is on Netflix. and It is Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. Nice. Classic movie. 1997, I think this was released. And this is just 1960s spoof spy film. It's just the funniest stuff ever. Such a fun movie. and has that great dance number and they open it. It's so, so much fun. so good. Mike Myers in his prime. Yeah. I recommend Wrath The Man just came out on VOD. On oh, no the uh, way. Guy Ritchie's new movie. If you like action like hard and dark drama action, this is right up your alley. Jason Statham's awesome. We there's, just saw we saw in theaters. Yeah, there's some great action in this movie. Great gun sequences and it's just uh, flat out just like a typical Guy Ritchie, less a little less humor than usual for him, but still just a rocking time. Still pretty funny. Yeah. But yeah, his action in it, it's it might be the most action he's ever put in a movie before. Yeah, it was fun. And I think that wraps our intermission. Now let's get back into the episode and now we're on Deathly Hollows. Pat two. Pat two. And I love the way they open this up because a year's passed obviously in the real world and they have to set us up. So they show us Voldemort getting the elder one. They show us Snape as headmaster at Hogwarts because as they hinted at with the radio with the with the radio in the tent is that Snape is headmaster now and that's the first shot. It's it's a very unique and interesting shot because we think Snape's a villain, obviously, but he also seems very troubled. It's a great great little close up. And then And if you know the book it's a really emotional shot, and so we we're we're set up really well for that as well as us being at Shell Cottage after Dobby's death. Yeah, and this is important because uh, Grip Hook, the Goblin, is explaining to the to Harry Potter and the others that Bellatrix Lestrange thought that she had the real Gryffindor sword in her vault, but it was actually a fake, and it was such a good fake that only a goblin could under could um, discern the difference between the real sword and. The way that Bellatrix panicked about someone entering her vault and taking something seemed to be suspicious to the trio. And they decide that there's a good chance that Voldemort stashed one of his horcruxes in her vault as well. It's got to be. And so that sets them on the path to infiltrating Gringotts. Yeah, so they use Grip Hook with his knowledge of, of of Gringotts to try to break in. In the book, they spend weeks playing this whole thing out. And also Gripwick was the goblin that showed Harry Potter into his vault when he first went to Green when he was eleven years old. Even amongst goblins, you're famous Harry Potter. And then they also interrogate Ollivander because Harry knows and he saw that Dumbledore got the Elder Wand from Dumbledore's Voldemort got the Elder Wand from Dumbledore's Dumbledore's tomb burial. And they're trying to understand more about Wandalore. And, you know, Ollivander talks about them like they're living and He's explaining to them, like, the the wand chooses the wizard, Mr. Potter. And they're trying to understand or find out if the Elder Wand is real and if it's believed to be in existence with wand experts like Ollivander. And also, wands can change allegiances to wizards. So, like, if you have a wand and I have one and I disarm you, your wand will then become loyal to me. Because... And most importantly, we forgot to talk about in part two, is Harry disarmed Draco at Malfoy Manor. Yeah. So he actually is in control of Draco's wand, which is why Ollivander says that I sensed allegiance has changed, and now Harry has full control of it. So even though it's not the wand that Harry got when he was a kid, because it became loyal to him after disarming Malfoy— it will be pretty close to what Harry's original wand was like in terms of working for him. Can't believe we forgot to bring that up, guys. It's okay. We just brought it up. So sorry about that. It's like five minutes ago. Because it's so important for later on in the (laughs) film, in the story, man. But let's get into Gringotts because this is so crazy. It might even be crazier than uh, Infiltrating the Ministry of Magic because as we've talked about with... With the characters in the books, especially, is like, and even Hagrid talks about it in the, I think the first movie yeah. and book is yeah. like, like the last thing you want to do is try to break into Gringotts. Like they will do, they will kill the crap out of you. <laughs> and I love uh, Hermione trying to act like Bellatrix. Like when they they when they apparate into Nocturne Alley, uh, a what looks like a Death Eater says hi to her, and she's like, "Good morning." <laughs> and the like grip Hooks is like, "Good morning." Even the Death Eaters like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And apparently, for all those scenes. Emma Watson acted them out for uh, Helena Bonham Carter to see how she would portray it. And then Helena Bonham Carter basically copied what Emma Watson did. Yeah, I mean, Helena is such a great actress. And she is just a delight to watch in every scene that she's in. And it's so fascinating to watch her as Bellatrix Lestrange acting as Hermione Granger at the same time. But then trying to be Hermione Granger, who's acting like she's Bellatrix Lestrange. And it's really fun to watch. It's great acting. And also... Ironically, Harry uses one of the main three, um, what do you call it, the curses? An unforgivable the unforgivable curse. curses. She, he uses the Imperius Curse, and that's the curse that controls that goblin, makes them all happy, and ha- helps them uh, lead them into the vaults. Yeah, they have to, otherwise they're going to be caught by the goblins because they've been warned that imposters could come by, and the fact that the one situation with bellatrix where hermione is bellatrix isn't going well for identification purposes and they end up getting in and they they're on the train and we're we're cruising and then they meet the waterfall which is the thief's downfall is that what it's called yeah which uh removes any magical um concealment of any wizard that is being concealed by magic I just reiterated yeah, myself yeah, back yeah. to back. I love I, <laughs> love I rever- this. I inverted the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the the new poster you oh, have. Yeah, you like that tenant That new tenant poster. I love this scene because we get to see a dragon. That's pretty We haven't seen a dragon for a couple of movies. And this dragon in particular, it's become like albino in a way because it hasn't seen sunlight for malnourished. Who, how, who knows how long. And uh, they've trained it to to fear the sound of the like, clinking tools. And Called it, the clankers. The clankers. clankers yeah nice (laughs) but once they get into the vault it's like I said earlier where they wisely wrote that when Harry is near a horcrux it emanates a sound and he can hear talking to him in a way and that's how he is able to locate oh it's Helga Hufflepuff's cups right up there yeah and I'm sure Harry at this point in his head is starting to understand that like there's a reason why I am communicating with Horcruxes like this for some reason, and also they don't really talk about it too much in the movie. But they're they're in the book they're planning like a double cross on Griphook because the deal is if Griphook gets him inside the vault, he can have the Sword of Gryffindor. And again, and goblins are very tricky in terms of negotiations. Yeah. They're very particular, and they re- they're they very precise about how they word things. And this, that's why they were re- weird about it too, because they were planning to keep the sword in the cup, and they said that we'll just figure it out while we're inside the vault. But they unfortunately are in the situation where— all the treasure. There's a magical protection where anything they touch duplicates and, co- and constantly multiplies, and everything. All the treasure is growing and growing. It's great CGI, and also yeah, it looks um really real. But in the books, it also burns them. Yeah, too. it's like piping hot, and they all get burned every time they touch it. Yeah, but they eventually get the, it, the get the cup. Gritbook steals a sword and, and escapes with the. Uh... He doesn't steal it. They gave it to him. Oh yeah, they gave it, it, threw it to him. him. Yeah, but he tricked them. And he didn't trick him. Yeah. It's part of the deal. Yeah, he's it's like, I didn't it. tell you. I get you out of here. here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hence, the wording has to be perfect for when you make a deal with a goblin. I never said I'd get you out. <laughs> Warwick's great in this. He's fantastic. Yeah, awesome actor. He's actually one of the few actors that's in every single Harry Potter movie. And he plays multiple characters. He plays Flitwick as well. The and Charming the professor. music. And the musical teacher. The choir teacher. No, Flitwick does the choir. No, it's a different different uh, character. Well, in the movie, isn't it There's Flitwick? No. They have the same like, mustache. That's no, a different character. Is it? Yeah. No. Yeah, I read it. Really? In a book. <laughs> no, in the in the Harry Potter books. No, no, no. In a, no, Is um, they, Mike Newell included it as an extra character. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> allora. We're getting real di- dorky about Harry Potter <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, does he really play <laughs> Professor Flitwick as well as the choir <laughs> professor? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that Warwick Davis is also in the Star Wars movies? But then uh, they they ride the dragon, break out of Gringotts. It's insane. Although the imperious goblin just gets lit oh up by the dragon, I felt bar- bad for he him. He gets barbecued. Kind of felt bad for him. Yeah, but whatever. It's whatever. It Ron is. is what it just is. like that's unfortunate. <laughs> it's so much fun when the dragon breaks out and it's finally flying. And genius plan by Hermione. Too. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And it's like seeing the three of them. It's like Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. Like watching them ride a dragon, so great. It's pretty cool. But then they have to they crash into the water and they have to literally come up with a plan on the spot like we have to go to hogwarts well because as they're underwater yeah. harry sees the vision of voldemort he has finally understood that harry knows that horcruxes exist and he's destroying them because they cut to him at the ministry of at, at the gringotts bank and he has just laid slaughter and massacre to everyone there that's at malfoy Manor. oh i'm mean, in the book it's yeah. in in gringotts but right you're right in the movie it's in malfoy Manor, which doesn't make sense because why is grip there? there nah, i don't know it's a movie and I'm sure it would have been too graphic. I'm sure they filmed it completely. It, but it was probably too intense for a kid-friendly movie. PG-13. Yeah, yeah, so they just did these quick shots of him. But I'm sure like, it would have been sick to see him. Like like Vader at the end of Rogue One, him just murking people left and right. That would have been insane. That would have been wild. Yeah, that would have <laughs> nuts. But now they know that Voldemort knows that they know. And also Harry, and I know that he knows that they know, and and they and they know that he knows that they know he knows. And Harry also saw the vision that Voldemort had of thinking of Hogwarts. So now Harry's like, we have to go to Hogwarts. There's something there. I think he hit a Horcrux there. And this also in the book they talk about more where when Voldemort came back to, to Hogwarts years before Harry was before Harry was born to try to get a job there. Supposedly, for an interview job. with Dumbledore, his real purpose was to hide a Horcrux there. Yeah, and we eventually learned it was obviously Rowan, Rowena Ravenclaw's t- um, diadem, which he put in the Room of Requirement. But um, because Voldemort hid all the all of the Horcruxes in locations that were very special to him for example the cave is associated with his childhood when he was in the orphanage and then hogwarts was his only true home and then also the cup is at gringotts because when he first saw gringotts as a child 11 years old tom riddle walking down Diagon Alley, he saw the majesty and might of magic in the community and he saw the power and, and wealth and how he wanted that all and so Nagin- it was so impressive to him and nagini shows another connection to slytherin his um his ancestor. yeah so they all have a deep meaning they and he also likes the idea of um objects that were owned by the um creators of the founders of Hogwarts and the ring was a horcrux as well right yeah the yeah. ring was so a horcrux the Gaunt ring was a horcrux so yeah. that's related to his family and his bloodline exactly and obviously the the diary was a horcrux because he used the diary as a way of controlling the chamber so that was another exactly. con- yeah, another so connection to Slytherin. One. And he just likes books. <laughs> 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 no, he turned into Horcrux because it, it was special to him because he he knew he could use it as a, a yeah, weapon. No, it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Do you think I'm serious? <laughs> <laughs> but then this movie just takes off because then they go to Aberforth's house, and well, they first they go to Hogsby and then Aberforth grabs and he's like, "Yo, chill in my place." <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> and then we see that this, he's actually owns the rest of the mirror that Harry and so he's who Harry has been seeing and he's Dumbledore's younger brother and he's the bartender of is it the hog's head or Warmth the three the, broomsticks three broomsticks one of yeah. those bars yeah I believe so the three broomsticks mm-hmm. And then Neville leads them right into the Hogwarts. Well, before that, it's really important to talk about Aberforth and their conversation because this is a turning point for Harry because... (laughs) Is that sarcastic or no? No. Your eyes said sarcasm, but your voice didn't, so I'm just like trying to interpret what you're trying to do here. Because up until this point, again, we were talking about earlier how Harry is very skeptical now of his relationship with Dumbledore, and he left them with this impossible task, and he's talking to Aberforth about it, and he's like, Trying to tell Aberforth that we're on a mission that your brother left to us and Aberforth's like, Oh yeah, was it safe? Was it was it not impossible? Was it was it easy? My brother was like he sacrificed everything on his quest for power, including their younger sister, which they learned about. But Harry has shown so much growth over this period of time where he doesn't care about the book anymore, The Life and Lives of Dumbledore. He doesn't care about Dumbledore's past. He trusts the man he knew. That's what he tells Aberforth. And it's a very telling sign of maturity for Harry. Yeah, he's like, yo, you should have squashed it. <laughs> I put in like, should have s- squashed that shit. <laughs> Everyone's listening, like, oh yeah, James is explaining it really well. Oh, he squashed that shit, bro. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Because Harry, you know, he's. He's accepting Dumbledore for his past, but doesn't care about his past anymore. It's you... actually, I would say it's some of Radcliffe's best acting when he says, I, I don't care, you know. He's terrific on movie. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Language, bro. <laughs> Sorry. We're going to get taken down, I'll man. I'll bleep it. We're going to lose our monetization on YouTube. I'll bleep it. I'll this bleep guy it. over here. Don't worry. Dog, you can keep it in. I'm getting so excited. I love Harry Potter. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Squash it, bruh. But before we go to Hogwarts, I got to talk to you all about movieposters.com. The number one place to get your posters online today. Use our special promo code, RAGERS15, to get 15% off your order today. If you're checking out our set online, you'll see that is covered with these amazing posters. They have pretty much every movie imaginable. All sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting, anything you want. MoviePosters.com can do it. No matter what, if you're a huge fan of movies, if you're a huge fan of TV shows, the best way to show that love is to deck your place out with a ton of posters. And the best place to do that is at movieposters.com. Use our promo code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today. One of our favorite fans, Aylin, actually just sent us a DM. She, she uh, got a poster of Fight Club using our coupon code. Oh, nice. And it's just Tyler Durden. I wouldn't mind having a poster of Brad Pitt in my bedroom. I yeah, his just face saying. like right next just, to your bed. Just saying. Or like on the ceiling. On the- <laughs> <seat>. <laughs> with the light glistening on it. The glist- <laughs> no, it's glittering. The light's glittering on it. <laughs> glittering on it. <laughs> so you can just see you fall asleep with Brad Pitt's face staring down at you. Who wouldn't want that? <laughs> Sounds great, man. That's like, that's just comfort. and. Stress relieving. Alara, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. We're going to Hogwarts let's now. Let's go to Hogwarts. Let's go to Hogwarts. Go. Neville takes them and It's great to see Neville, and he's grown up, and he's, he's a leader. Neville has a huge role to play in this film, and we get inside the room for requirement, which has been turned into basically a home for all these students who have been acting out and hiding out from the caros who are running the school. And, and more in the book, we learn about how they've been just doing – the exact opposite of what they're told to do by this authoritarian control over the school, and also like the the Carrows are heading up the defense against the arts classes, and they're they're having dark arts, dark arts, it's not arts. Oh and crafts. yeah, it's not defense anymore. <laughs> no, you said defense against the arts, <laughs> <laughs> did I? Our defense against arts and crafts. No crayons allowed. <laughs> Only charcoal. <laughs> And but they're um actually teaching the students to perform the what are they, the, the three the unforgivable curses the unforgivable curses, <laughs> the unforgivable curses. your slip ups now I are forgivable it. <laughs> it's a lot to this and like they're they're ten... unsubscribed <laughs> y'all better not unsubscribe all these mispronunciations Unsubscribe. I can't take it <laughs> <laughs> but the carols are having like. Fifth and sixth year students perform like the Cruciatus Curse on first years. It must suck for first years. Like, oh, I'm going to Hogwarts. Ah! <laughs> you probably don't even get pumpkin Crucio. juice anymore. <laughs> messed up, man. Well, the caros are a messed up pair, uh, brother and sister, and they're in charge of the discipline. Hence uh, Neville's bruised up face because he's a badass now. Yeah, and it's it's great to be re- reunited with so many of our favorites from the Dumbledore's army, which from Order of the Phoenix, this crew, so we have like Seamus and Cho Chang is there and Ginny shows up and it's so funny when Ginny shows up and she's like, Harry, and then Ron's like, oh, I... I haven't seen her in six months. I'm her brother, and I'm like, Frankie, first year. <laughs> that's great. She doesn't even look at him. That's great. And and then, but, but it's funny because they're, they're like, we need to find something in Hogwarts. That's all we have. We don't know what it is. Seamus is like, that's nothing. That's nothing to go on. <laughs> it's not a lot to go on. That's nothing to go on. <laughs> but then we get that great lineup where Snape, Snape marched all the students into the, the, the Great Hall, which is in the—Hogwarts is so dark and grim. There are hardly any fires lit, and it's just— cold atmosphere now it seems so miserable as opposed to us being when we would go to the great hall it was magical and full of life and vibrancy and warmth and food but now it's just complete opposite yeah no food at all (laughs) 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 that's the best part yeah watching harry potter always makes me hungry oh man those feasts man and it's real food (laughs) that's why i wanted to go to hogwarts more than anything for that food But um, then we have this really great scene. Snape is the headmaster, and he seems to be ruling with an iron fist, and obviously has no compassion for the students or anything. And and then he, he calls out. He's like, if anyone knows about Potter's Whereabouts, let me know. And then guess what? Snitchers got stitches. <laughs> Harry's like, I'm right here, bitch. It's language. Jeez lo- I'll like, bleep it out. Oh my god, bro. I'll bleep it out. <laughs> you think it's the first bleep I've done? <laughs> you going off tonight, bro. I'm amped, man. Let's go. <laughs> oh man, sorry. But it's a great scene because then we see McGonagall be very protective over Harry, and she starts attacking offensively against Snape, which you would never assume McGonagall would do. It's something great like when that. the fire starts burning out of her wand. Yeah, because yeah. you can assume McGonagall is so powerful, and you know she's probably never been in, hasn't been in a duel in decades at least, and so. And then Snape leaves, and then we learn from um, which girl from Raven, from Slytherin that they want to oh because what Parky happened... Pansington Parky Pans... Pans Pansington Pansington yeah that... no it's par... not pan... it's Parky. P- per... Pansy. Pansy Parkinson's. Parkinson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, it's been, You're right. Yeah. Well, actually, before that, Voldemort knows Harry's there, so he's going inside everyone's Oh, head. I want to say real quick when McGonagall and Snape are dueling, Snape, see, like, unbeknownst to the audience immediately, when McGonagall shoots the flames at him at one point, he purposely deflects the flames on both the caros. Yeah, you're knocking right. Knocking out both the caros. And he did that on purpose as a way of protecting the students and McGonagall from the chaos before he left. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, great. Then he flies away. But what was I saying? Oh, so dumb <laughs> Voldemort's voice is inside everyone's head. He's like, give me Harry. <laughs> Let me do it again. He had to be spitting water out. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to actually do it. Go it ahead. Just, it just came up naturally. <laughs> give me. I can't do it. <laughs> Give me Harry Potter. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Can't stop laughing. This is getting silly, guys. Sorry. It's late. All right, let's, let's focus. Focus. And so Slytherin House gets led to the dungeons because they're like, yo, just give Harry up to Voldemort right now. Let's get this over with. But now starts this yeah, great- your, your house. This, hey, you know what? I would have stayed and fought, probably. Gosh, I don't know about that. I, I would have fought. I would have been there, man. Fought Harry. <laughs> But now we set up this great battle. You know, it's a war, and now we have the the final climactic battle of the war. And it's so fun to watch. I love watching the professors set up the fences around the school because, you know, they're teaching classes all the time, but we seldom see them do magic. But to see them do incredible magic, which we are sure, we're sure, we've always been sure they're capable of. And like, I love the giant enchantment bubble force field that they all attribute to and, and create around the entire uh, grounds of the school, yeah, as because, well as, I'm, I'm sorry. As well as. No, you want to interrupt me? What do you got to say? Well, I was going to say, we mentioned earlier you how, might as well. how wizards, after they graduate from Hogwarts, they have to teach themselves magic from then on. So over the decades, like McGonagall has probably taught herself so many spells and so many theories of magic that she can is capable of so much. Yeah, yeah. they have immense knowledge. Yeah. As well as I love the spell where she has all the uh, stone, stone soldiers go set up defenses around the perimeter too. And she's like, I've always wanted to use that spell. Great Maggie Smith. Yeah, thanks. I do pretty good. Pretty decent impressions here. She's so charming. but <laughs> <This> It's great. <laughs> Forgive me. But this is um, it's really one of the best shots is when all the Death Eaters, they shoot up those those spells and it's like arrows across mm-hmm. the battlefield. And then when they start colliding with the, the force field, it's just like do, 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 it's a war do, movie, do, do, man. <laughs> it's crazy. And this really does turn into a battle. Like, it's intense. And what I really love about This part of the movie, which is different from the book, because the book, it's pretty much following Harry around this entire battle. Whereas the movie, very cleverly, goes away from Harry multiple times. We're spending a lot of time with other characters, especially members of the Order of the Phoenix. You know, we have a lot of Lupin, Tonks, we have Kingsley Shacklebolt up top, and we're watching... Neville at the Bridge. Fred and George, and we're watching all these other characters and doing all their part of the battle, which we don't really read about in the books, because you can assume that they... Contributed so much, and a lot of people lost their lives, but they all defended their castle and this the school so bravely, and it's it's great to see them all included. And Voldemort, you can tell, and Ray Fiennes did such a great job with this performance. He is scared, and he is vulnerable. He will not admit it to anyone. Nobody can see it on in him, but he is terrified that the kids are going to destroy the last two Horcruxes, and he will be mortal again. He even does that sound effect. Ah, ah. Multiple times, (laughs) like after uh, the wand cracks, after he breaks up the force field, he just did it by himself. It's crazy how powerful he is. And then he kills the guy for even saying anything. Just says, "My lord, my lord." (laughs) He's like, "Shut up!" (laughs) But he does that great, like only Rafe can do. And also at the same time as that's happening, Harry is convinced by Luna to talk to the ghost of Ravenclaw tower, which is Helena Ravenclaw, Rowena Ravenclaw's daughter, who, as we talk about in the book, they talk about, I think she stole the diadem from her mother to use it for herself, but then it was eventually lost, but until Tom Riddle found it in in the room for requirement. And she doesn't want to reveal where it is because she discovered that Tom Riddle tricked her to getting the diadem and use dark magic to corrupt the diadem. And she has never forgiven herself for allowing that to happen. And so she doesn't want to reveal the information to yet another boy who seems to be asking her and interested because she thinks that he has nefarious purposes as well. But Harry says all the right things to her. And he tells her, most importantly, that he wants to destroy it. He doesn't want to use it. He wants to destroy it for good. And it's also really interesting that she's not the first person to say that he reminds them of Tom Riddle. Yeah. Same thing with Slughorn and even Dumbledore. Yeah. And all while this is happening, Her- Hermione and Ron are down in the Chamber of Secrets. Brilliant decision by Ron. Super clever. Yeah. And because you know what, I just want to say real quick. Oh, I'm sorry, no. I interrupted you this time. No. Go Continue ahead. what you were saying about the. No, chambers. it sounds like you're going to defend Ron. <clears throat> Ron is a hero. Yeah. You know, we we talk we make fun of Ron a lot because yeah. you know he's the, all good fun. He's the comedic. Part of the film, he's he's the scruffy guy. He's you know he's he's Han Solo. Is that comedic joke that everyone pretends like they've never heard, but say that they know Star Wars is the same thing as Harry Potter. You've seen that Stamp joke, right? No, where the guy says like J.K. Rowling just recreated Star Wars with with Harry Potter. We have the the lead. I'll I'll explain it to you later. Mm -hmm. Everyone, I'm sure is listening, has heard it, but Ron, just not me, gets a (laughs) reaction. I mean, you're pretty out of touch these days, so. (laughs) <laughs> ron does so many things throughout the franchise which are so heroic and he's such a great character because for example he's not just like this dumb comic relief he's great at wizard Chess wizard's chess, and he saves that situation and beats the wizard's chess obstacle and sorcerer's stone he got more owls than the twins combined he actually has the same exact grades as harry potter pretty much He's actually excellent at magic for his age. I mean, doing these intense spells at 16, 17 years old, just like his buds. He's just a bit lazy. Yeah, yeah, he's very good at Quidditch, which we learn when he has confidence, when he's lacking confidence, not so much. But Ron is also the one in Half-Blood Prince who realizes that Harry can get Slughorn's true memory of Tom Myrtle by using liquid luck. Oh, yeah. Ron also figures out how to get back to Harry and Hermione using the Deluminator, which took some, you know, logic. During the battle for Hogwarts in the situation when Ron and Hermione notice that Harry's disappearing – disappears from the Marauders map, it's Ron who realizes that he must have gone inside the room for requirement. Hermione – and he's like, you said that uh, two years ago that people don't show up – that going, the, the room for requirement doesn't show up in the Marauders map. She's like, yeah, I did say that. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, – Ron is also, like you said, the one who opens the Chamber of Secrets using Basilisk, and then the idea to get the fangs to kill the Horcruxes. Yeah, he actually does a lot. Yeah. A ton. And in- imitating the Parseltongue is pretty complex as well. Yeah, he talks in his sleep, haven't you noticed? Plus he lands Hermione, which that's a catch and a half. Like, yeah, Hermione she... is, like, top. like She's so yeah. f- freaking awesome. Such an amazing person and character, yeah. and so clever and intelligent and funny and, and charming, and so, like... Go, Hermione. Yeah. Good job. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very PG <laughs> description of Hermione. <laughs> this is how we do it on this show. <laughs> but um, I love the the chamber sequence because not only does Hermione destroy the Horcrux, but they finally kiss. Finally. Finally. Honestly, though, this is my least favorite shot in the entire franchise because it's to the back of Rupert Grint's head. Yeah. The like, whole this time. This is the ugliest kiss I've ever seen in my life. You don't see it. It's just his head. It's, I don't want to look at Rupert Grint's head for this, but I'm— it's, it's the shot they got, yeah. but the wide shot that they cut to during the kiss is actually really beautiful. Yeah, quite beautiful with the music. And then it's it's time to go to the room of requirement, and as Harry goes in, he discover, um Malfoy and Crab—not Crab, but the other guy and Goyle—follow Goyle, them inside, and then Harry. and- I think it's Blaze. Blaze, the new kid. But they talk about it more but i keep saying this talk about this Mm -hmm. more in the books where the caros are teaching the students dark magic yeah that's how one of the dark magic spells that they're teaching is that that flame i can't remember what it's called but it's It's almost impossible to put out and it's it's incredibly powerful and actually in the book it's able to kill a horcrux yeah but i i I love before that um when he he does the avada cadaver course curse at hermione and then Ron's like, that's my girlfriend. And he starts chasing after him. It's so funny. Yeah, it's pretty wild because yeah. they're even learning curses like that at the school. Yeah, it's insane. That, fiend yeah. fire. It's called fiend fire. Yeah. And it's it, crab. Yeah. And it, it can't go out. It just uh, continues burning endlessly. And unfortunately, well, and then they save, well, crab deservedly falls yeah. into his own fire. Yeah. And then they save Draco and I'm pretty sure it's Blaze from the fire. Yeah. And Ron's like, hey, if we die for them, I'll kill you. <laughs> and they get out and then it's Hermione. Or no, it's. Uh who kills the basilisk? I mean the horcrux in this one Harry stabs it so Harry stabs it and then Ron kicks it into the fire yeah, exactly it's a great it's pretty cool CGI great shot great shot but like you said in the books the fire does the trick but now there's so few horcruxes that every time one is destroyed Voldemort can feel it he starts to feel each one as it goes whereas the first couple he didn't even know i he, i suspect he didn't know because he wasn't he didn't have a body form well, so he didn't have a, a bodily form to feel pain I guess. When they were destroyed. I guess. He I was guess. just a floating soul, basically. Because, so the locket... No, but the locket he didn't know either. Well, he must have, but he, they just didn't show it, no, I guess. No, he, yeah. he doesn't know it. He doesn't feel it. Okay, I guess you're right. Yeah. I guess that I, is a little plot hole. I, it's, I don't think it's a plot hole. I think it's just when there are fewer of them, he starts to feel it. Well, in the books, he doesn't feel them at all. Does he? I don't think so. No, that's how he... Well, you maybe in the books he doesn't feel them because he just knows that they're after him because yeah, of Green Gods. Exactly. That's what I believe. But yeah, in the movie, they start to show that he feels it. Yeah. Exactly. I think we're right on that. Yeah. If we're wrong, let us know in the comments. We do make mistakes, people. Even though, just like comments on the video, we appreciate it. <laughs> comments help. All right, so where were we? Horcrux gets destroyed at the room for requirement. Now that. now Voldemort, he feels the pain of the Horcrux. Now he's panicking, and he goes into everyone's head again, gives them a warning. Gives them one hour. Yeah, give, he, me her- give me Harry me Harry Potter. And then this is a moment where <clears throat> this is a moment where Voldemort speaks with Snape because he thinks he's discovered the reason, but he's still incorrect. So he wants the one. Uh, he, he wants Of to, why the Elder One won't yeah, work. Of why for the him. Elder Wand won't work for him. So he believes that if he kills Snape, then he will become master of the Elder Wand, unknowing that Snape, even though he killed Dumbledore, he's not the one who disarmed him. Yeah, so Mal- he thinks that just because yeah. he's killed Dumbledore, he's yeah. the owner of it. Draco is the one who disarmed Dumbledore. So Draco was the master of the, under, of the other one until Harry disarmed him in Malfoy Manor at part two. Because Harry's, part really one. The, Harry's the master of the other one. Exactly, and um, Voldemort doesn't understand this, so it's a fleeting mistake by him. And this is a rare rare scene you'll ever see in a movie where you know we're in the middle of a war, and then we have this emotional sequence that's very calm and kind of tones everything down a little bit uh, speed-wise. And it's where, as Snape's dying... Well, I want to say, e- even though at this point we think you think Snape's a villain, watching him get attacked by that snake is still very disturbing. Yeah, and Harry, even though he hates Snape, he's still trying to hold, keep his blood flow restricted so that he can survive. He's trying to do what he can to save the guy and not let him die because that's the kind of person that Harry is. And it's, it's really emotional because the memories are starting to pour out of Snape's eyes and he's telling Harry to take them. And then... This is not in the book, but they added into the movie. It might be one of the most emotional lines in the entire franchise. Is Snape's final words before his death is, "You have your mother's eyes," because he's staring right into Harry as he's dying. Which and Harry, is, Harry, at this point, didn't even know he knew his mom. Yeah, he barely. He, he, I think he knew they knew each other because they were at school at the same time. I guess obviously. so. Yeah. But in terms of having a relationship, like why would he say something like that to Harry? Like That makes no sense. He's never brought my mother up before. He's only ever brought James up. And so he takes the memories to the Pensieve in Dumbledore's office, and we have the revelation of Snape's truth, which is that he was always a double agent working for Dumbledore. He's always been protecting Harry, and he's always done it out of love for his mother. His love for Lily um, is what drove him... To take to turn sides against Voldemort and join Dumbledore because Snape's the reason why Lily was killed. He's the one who actually overheard the prophecy being told to Dumbledore. When Trelawney told Dumbledore the prophecy, Snape was listening outside the door and then he told that to Voldemort immediately. And that's why Voldemort chose to attack the Potter household. So it's Snape's the reason why Lily died. And he thought that Dumbledore would be able to protect the Potters because all he cared about was protecting Lily, and Dumbledore explains to them that they put their trust in the wrong person, and he goes to their house after the death, and it's, it's telling that he cared so much for Lily, he doesn't even look at baby Harry, he's just devastated at yeah. Lily's death, and from that moment on, he becomes Dumbledore's man through and through, just like Harry in a way, and... He always wants it to be kept secret, and it's unfortunate that Dumbledore says that he can never reveal the best about him is that he cared about Harry and he cared about Lily. Yeah, and it obviously we've known that he he's had such a distaste for Harry, and the reason for that, as we've mentioned before, is that because Harry is the remi- reminder that Lily chose a different man over him, and every time he saw Harry's face, he saw James's face, so it was difficult to ever be around Harry at school or in any other situation. Yeah, because he has his mother's eyes, and just seeing the face of James Potter constantly, and also you could probably argue that he also kept his distance in from Harry so that Voldemort would never be suspicious of them having a relationship, and he always wanted to be distant to Harry to protect him in a way. That's a great So point. I think it's both of those situations where he sees James Potter's face, he's reminded of Lily's death, which he caused, and also he's he cares for the boy because even Dumbledore, even when Dumbledore reveals to him that the is and he reveals to Harry to the Snape that Harry is the final horcrux and Harry has to die that's part of the plan now and Snape says you've been leading him to slaughter you've been waiting you've been raising him as a boy to a man so that he can die at the right moment and Dumbledore says don't tell me you've grown to care for the boy and then he casts the doe Patronus and he says always because that's Lily's Lily's Patronus and so is explained in the books in different points. Patronuses can change depending on relationships and feelings for somebody. So you can have the same Patronus as someone. That's why Snape has the doe. That's Lily's Patronus. And Snape was the one who led them to Gryffindor's sword in the forest. And so it's really emotional. It's really sad. It's it's super interesting to see Snape's past, uh, his relationship with Lily as they were young and when they were children, going to Hogwarts, getting put in different houses, then having different friends, and then Lily marrying James Potter... But then to see snape his bravery throughout the years and the bravery he was still holding to his last breath against voldemort and then also imagine just imagine all the scenes we didn't see of his interactions with voldemort over the last few years such a tragic part of the entire franchise it's a highlight of the entire franchise and and alan rickman absolutely crushed it yeah and harry comes out of the pensive realizing i have to die and he never I'm sure he's always thought, like, I could die any day on this mission, but now I have to actually walk to my death. I have to die in order to save the world. No one's going to be able to defeat Voldemort. I won't even be able to defeat Voldemort unless I die right now. Yeah, and he's like, yo, you two gotta kill the snake and then try and kill Voldemort after I'm dead. And he has to do it now because he can't save any more time. He can't go run and hide and try to do this again because it'll give Voldemort opportunity to make more horcruxes. Yeah. So it has to be now. And this is some of the Daniel Radcliffe's best acting I've seen where he first when he realizes that he has to that he has to die and he sits down and he like can't even breathe and then and then when he walks into the forest well first of all he's he, he turns over the stone after he gets it out of the snitch and then he sees the the ghosts of his loved ones, because he understands. I open at the close means yeah. I'm about to die. Yeah, I, I open when I'm gonna, when I'm ready to die, and it's really emotional when he speaks to his parents and Sirius and Lupin. It's a great moment, but then when Harry walks into the area where Voldemort and his Death Eaters are, and Radcliffe plays it so well, he's just, he looks like he's ready to die. He's terrified, but he's prepared, and it's a great moment. I think it's it's his best acting, and then Voldemort, um, being the arrogant monster that he is he obliges and kills him yeah and harry doesn't use the deathly hollows to cheat death he goes in there without the hollows he goes in there to die on purpose otherwise he can't kill the, he can't have voldemort kill the horcrux and he takes him out but then we go to king's cross and this is such a great scene where harry wakes up and he sees that writhing piece of flesh humanoid being beneath the bench and he doesn't understand and then he sees dumbledore and he asks dumbledore what it is and that's the horcrux that was inside Harry. That was the part—well, that's the part of Voldemort's soul that he just killed. That's mm. what's in King's Cross. Yeah, exactly. And this is a great scene. So It's so great to see Dumbledore again. And he's so cheery. And, and Michael Gammon really captured the character again. Like, he's full-on Dumbledore. And I love this scene. And it's important because Dumbledore is explaining everything that happened, that Harry was a horcrux. And, and Harry—only someone like Harry, like we've said in the other episodes— his, I think his most important defining characteristic is his um, selflessness and his willingness to sacrifice himself. And the only way to ever defeat Voldemort was for Harry to make the ultimate sacrifice, which he did without hesitation. And Harry has the option. He could get on a train and go on to the afterlife. Or he can stay there and wake back up and continue his battle against Voldemort, which thank goodness he does because it's epic. Oh, yeah. And he wakes up. And Narcissa is asked to like. He, she basically goes to see if he's alive, and all she cares about is Draco. Mm. And then they, tr- then she basically tricks Voldemort into thinking that he's alive, and then they, you know, they carry him back to the castle. And this is another instance of Voldemort not understanding love. And Dumbledore always, always saying how powerful love is, and love is always uh, the barrier that prevents Voldemort from ever winning. And once again, we see in this example of Narcissa's love for her son is what causes um her to lie to voldemort saying that harry's dead great point thanks And especially because the last thing that dumbledore says to him in king's cross is don't pity the dead harry pity the living especially those who live without love mm. very very moving so once again he's defeated by love and then ironically i think it's a really great moment where Hagrid's the one who carries harry to hogwarts and it, comes full circle from Sorcerer's Stone where he's the one who carried Harry to the Dursleys' home. The, <laughs> the Dursleys' home. And apparently what I read is that this scene of having Hagrid carry Harry to Hogwarts as like a, a funeral kind of march was an early idea of hers and that she always kept in her mind even when she was nowhere near writing Deathly Hallows. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very emotional, but we know Harry's alive. He's all good. Um, I, mean, I love the scene when Voldemort is speaking to the wizards and witches saying, like, oh, I won. I killed Harry. Put your faith in me now. Yeah, he's like a, a politician now. And when Malfoy walks across the, the bounds and then Voldemort just does the most awkward hug imaginable, like you can see that he has no real emotions in him and he's just like, Got that weird smile, and he can't even like hug him properly. Yeah, and Ray Fiennes improvised that moment. Yeah, I also love Neville Longbottom's speech right here, where he's talking about, yeah, Harry's dead. He, it sucks. It's terrible, but you know, people die every day. That doesn't mean this movement's over. It's, it's very reminiscent of early and earlier in Part One, where Harry tries to run away from the Burrow after his escape from Privet Drive, and Ron's trying to explain to him, it's bigger than you, mate. It's you're just part of the puzzle. Like, yeah, we need you. But it's this involves everybody. It's not just about you anymore. Yeah. And so, yes, Harry's gone, but we can still keep fighting. Yeah. He's still here inside of our hearts. Exactly. And this is a moment where he earns the right to Gryffindor's sword, which is why it appears to him. Basically, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. But in the books... Harry tells Neville to make sure he kills the snake when he's under the invisibility cloak Gordon Yeah, Force. exactly. but so. you know they kept it out of the movie yeah, no time for that gotta yeah, get, get right to the fight. yeah like we start the fighting back up and I, I love Harry running around the Hogwarts castle from Voldemort and then going back and forth but the one thing I don't like which we've talked about I think last, yeah, last episode, episode was where Voldemort has him with the ropes the cloaks and like he could just kill him, he's just has him he has him tied and up it's just, and... it's just like a cinematic thing that I think they wanted to do it looks cool for a trailer and stuff like that yeah. but it, like I said in that last Episode is when you have two people fighting to the death, and then if one person overpowers the other one and has the opportunity to clearly kill them and doesn't, it kind of takes you out of the fear of the moment. Especially even more when Voldemort's just like slapping him around. It's like, yeah. bro, just use your wand and kill him. Yeah. I yeah, I, I'm sure they were going for like he just wants to like punish him, but it's like it could all be over if you just kill Harry. But they it's do all over. Yeah, so I would say that the final moments of the battle yeah it's so great to see when they finally get down after flying together and they start their duel and their their wands go off which is great it's epic it's beautiful and at the same time ron and hermione are trying to kill the snake but then neville saves them with by slicing its head off with the sword of Gryffindor. perfect timing and then harry and voldemort both feel that the horcrux has been killed yeah and then when you see voldemort's reaction and he's like oh my god he's completely vulnerable and then you see harry he's like let's go and they go again. It, it's and then the splats music is really fantastic yeah. at this moment. It's unbelievable. Although I wish they did it like the book, though, in the scene especially because in the book it's around everyone. It's everyone's yeah. watching them. They're in a circle in the and, Great Hall. And also Harry and him have like a lot of dialogue where Harry's telling him all the secrets that Tom Riddle never could imagine that Harry knows about him, especially like how he's a half blood. He knows about uh, the Horcruxes and Dumbledore and Snape was always Dumbledore's man and all this stuff. I wish they kept that in. Yeah, because in this movie, Voldemort basically died thinking that Snape was loyal to him. Yeah. He thought that Snape was his most loyal servant. For real. Ironically. So, I mean it is what it is it's a movie they yeah. gotta keep it different I guess but I wish that of all the things they would've kept in it was that probably yeah and I, I I think it worked better it was great in the courtyard but it would've been nice to have everyone around watching it cause that would've brought like an epic quality to it like just having everyone witness it yeah. would've been fun but it's cool to see all the other battles and the duelings but again we do have losses of life I mean is it Fred or George one of them gets killed I think it's George George, George, gets, George killed. gets killed George gets killed no no Fred uh, cause no, George says Fred and Fred's not there Tonks and Lupin get killed. So we see a lot of loss of life, especially big, important characters, too, which Mm -hmm. is unfortunate. But it's it's great to see that after... Harry destroys Voldemort and he dissolves away and he's no longer alive, which is why I keep saying the same synonyms basically. Of but then dead. like no one's like really paying him any attention. He like walks through the Great Hall and everyone's like, oh hey, like but no one's Dude, even. Look. It's like you just he just saved everyone. Yeah, where's well, the celebration? Again, in the book, he's under the invisibility cloak and he grabs Hermione and Ron. Oh and yeah, take yeah, it away. yeah, yeah. So it's you know it's, yeah, but I'm talking about the movie. Oh yeah, no, yeah. it makes no sense. Yeah. It's the same thing now. And the prologue or the prologue at the end. Or was it the epilogue at the end yeah. when no one's like, that's Harry Potter. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really touching moment where he takes them away and the trio are just together, which this is all we need. And they're talking about the Elder Wand. And Ron's like, oh, we we'll, we'll think of what we could do with it. But then Harry snaps it in half. In the book, he uses the Elder Wand to actually repair his original wand, which, I mean, you don't have to do it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't need to do it. but But it's a very wise and mature decision for harry to destroy it why should anyone ever have this power yeah he's a, he abandoned all the deathly hollows except for i'm sure he keep them yeah Elizabeth that cloak the, will actually come in handy a lot. he's an aura for yeah, sure there's absolutely. no way he got rid of that thing Nah, and it's it's a great ending and i l- i actually like the epilogue a lot although i thought it was just a little funny that everyone had kids at the same time everyone has kids that's like the same year and they all have they just gave them all like double chins yeah. so i guess when you're 40 you have a double chin automatically mm-hmm. i guess so a little deeper voice they actually filmed this twice. Um, The first time they filmed it, they just used uh, heavy prosthetic makeup. And when they saw the da- dailies the next day, it looked really bad. I'm sure it did. And so they were like, we need to tone it down with the makeup. So then they just <laughs> went very subtly and filmed it again, and it worked out yeah, better. just different hairstyles and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, I'm sure the three of them are going to look pretty much like that by the time they're 40. I mean, Dan Radcliffe still looks young as hell. Yeah, and he's almost – he needs his – a little he's, older he's than like us. He's like 31 or 32. Yeah, he, he look, he's still baby-faced, so okay. he, he'll definitely look like... He'll actually look younger than he probably did in the movie. Yeah, But, you know, it's a fantastic ending. I mean, his kid's afraid to go to school and get sorted into Slytherin, but he tells him, Albus Severus, Severus. you're named after two headmasters at Hogwarts. One was the bravest man I ever knew. Why am I talking like I'm dying? I don't know. <laughs> That's not at all and what he was, And like. he was in House Slytherin, so they will have got a great student yeah. if you are in Slytherin. But the, house, the hat takes your decision into account i just stopped saying the whole entire scene yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right, i think that's is that it that's it holy crap i'm yeah. exhausted the train takes off Whew. we gotta do superlatives goodness oh my god all right who you got for mvp i have david yates same as the mvp same too because he just he just it's a monumental task to make these two movies mm-hmm. and he pulled it off best shot i couldn't pick one dude like it's five hours of movies I, don't, I couldn't really pick a favorite shot. It's hard. I, I really like the shot when Voldemort gets the Elder Wand and he's like, oh, ha, ha, lightning. But well, I like when he destroys the enchantment around Hogwarts. That's really cool. But, like, it's five hours of movie. Like, how do you pick one shot? I, cu- I just couldn't. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. That's okay. We, you're a failure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe, you know what? My favorite shot is when Harry comes out of the no, Pensieve. No, 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 <laughs> When he comes out of the Pensieve and realizes he has to die. Okay It's my favorite shot Okay <laughs> I'll let you keep it in I'll let you sneak it in Thanks dad <laughs> What's your favorite scene? <laughs> my favorite scene is I guess, say It's Snape's Revelation Revelation of Snape All oh, his memories Yeah his memories Mine is Harry and Dumbledore In Kings Cross Heaven nice. That's what I call it Kings Cross Heaven Oh that's so sweet <laughs> What a sweet scene Best actor Radcliffe Yeah Best line You go first So when the time comes, the boy must die. Always. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's do some quick trivia. Daniel Radcliffe broke 80 wands throughout the filming of the franchise because he liked to use them as drumsticks. Drumsticks? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is the only movie where Snape referred to Harry by his first name. In previous movies, he's referred to as Mr. Potter by Snape. When did he say Harry? Um, When he said Harry Potter to the crowd? Yes. Okay. Yes. Correct. The fight between McGonagall and Snape was actually considered by the filmmakers to be changed to Snape versus Harry. But J.K. Rowling scrapped this saying it has to be McGonagall and Snape because it gives McGonagall this heroic moment. Yeah. And also it's emotional when you can see she – is does not want to do yeah. this, and she's she has so much emotion on her face. Just she's happy known Snape for two decades, yeah. probably longer. Great, great acting. Harry's lightning bolt scar was applied by makeup teams approximately fifty eight hundred times by the end of the film franchise. Daniel Radcliffe had the scar applied two thousand times, while the rest were applied to stunt doubles and stand-ins. In every shot where Voldemort and Bellatrix Lestrange appear together, she always moves so that she stands on his right. Traditionally through history, the position of the most loyal and trusted follower is on the right of the leader. Most of the events in this film, in Deathly Hallows Part 2, from the raid at Gringotts, the Battle of Hogwarts, they all take place over the course of a single day. Of the main trio, Rupert Grint was the only one to never seriously consider leaving the franchise at some point. Radcliffe thought about leaving after the third movie, and Emma Watson thought about leaving after the fifth. Neither of them departed however however, and they all got paid. yeah so salary wise I believe I read that Danny Radcliffe got about 90 million total throughout the franchise Emma Watson came in second place with about like 80 75 80 and then Rupert Grint got like 60 to 70 mil. For the last two, they all negotiated together and they all got 25 mil. Yeah, which is crazy. It's crazy. But like the first couple of films, that's not what they were making. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Marvel actors, like Hemsworth only got paid like 150000 for the th- first Thor. And no one even knew who he was. Chris Evans got like the 200000 for the first Captain America. They don't get paid much on the first movies. The death of Alan Rickman on January 14, 2016 caused the word always to go viral across the word, the world in tribute to the late actor. Rupert Grint and Emma Watson said in an interview that they both had casts made out of their buttocks. These were called bum casts, and they were used to make the bicycle-like seats mounted on their broomsticks during production in order to make it more comfortable for them to ride broomsticks. In Harry Potter, Voldemort created several horcruxes in an attempt to cheat death. Appropriately, his name is French for flight of death, or it can also mean steal, cheat of death. Upon the release of Deathly Hallows Part 2, it set the record for the highest grossing opening weekend ever with $169 million, which beat the previous winner of The Dark Knight. This was obviously shattered by The Avengers, which earned 207000000 million. I'm done. All right, That's we're it. done with Harry Potter. Man, Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2 in the whole was, franchise. Holy epic. crap. Seven weeks of episodes on these films. Thanks so much for tuning in. To all these episodes, everybody around the world, we really appreciate it. And for those of you who love Harry Potter as much as we do, we'll probably revisit at some point. We're going to do, like we said, Harry Potter father figures. We've done Harry Potter villains, but we'll wait some time. We yeah, know? we'll give you plenty of time. We'll give you all a breather those. from Harry Potter. Don't um, forget to subscribe, like this video, comment. If you're listening on the audio platforms like Spotify and iTunes, Give us a a look on YouTube. Check out the YouTube channel. We have a ton of video content that makes the experience of hearing the podcast even better. And then don't forget to subscribe there as well. Yeah. Thanks so much. Take care, everyone. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.